0: I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1.
2: On our latest episode, it's our full movie preview as Josh Peterson, Rob McCallum, and I talk the best movies to see in the next four months. We also weigh in with our thoughts on the Star Wars Episode IX directorial change and ask if it's truly safe to helm a film in the Star Wars universe. We also decide who is best to handle the 007 films going forward. Another hit song from Plasma Z and Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast gives us a quick update on what to look forward to in week one of the NFL season. It's an illegal formation full of podcasting penalties we have for you today as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse.
3: Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse.
4: And there's this ice dragon that just kind of hates ice walls and it wrecked the whole thing. And then Jon Snow showed Daenerys his ice dragon, if you know what I mean. And then uh, Tyrion was watching and it was just, there's all kinds of stuff, man. You missed it to watch it. Yeah, well, what
2: happened after what came down?
4: There was a, a giant ice wall. I don't know. Like this, this big wall has been prevalent through the, the entire series. You know, you're one of the one person in the world that doesn't watch Game of Thrones. So, yeah, this ice wall uh-huh. scattered and supposed to keep the White Walkers out. Now the White Walkers are in, and we don't know what the freak is going on until 2019 or so they say. So it's just that's that's a long time to be on the edge of your seat, you know. But but
2: after the wall, wall went down, what came through?
4: Uh, just a bunch of dead people.
2: So, in essence, the Game of Thrones has now become an episode of The Walking Dead.
4: Uh, yes. I mean, if you want to put it that way. Or has The Walking Dead always been a uh, a prequel to The Game of Thrones? We don't know. You know, it's just a, or a sequel, maybe.
2: There you go. The connection has been made, and the conspiracy theories can start now. And we're back for another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today and yes i have seen and binged through season seven of the game of thrones this past week so yes i am caught up to date so sorry about that and who should be here with me in the PCC multiverse but my good friend he's the man the myth the legend he is truly the white walker king of humanic media is josh peterson what's up my friend
4: and I wish I could have a White Walker dragon. As there t-
2: you go, with all the holes and the wings and all that I saw. Yeah, to make it look extra dead.
4: Plenty of physics there. It's, they clearly abide by the rules of physics in that universe.
2: Of course. Of course they do. So, what's going on with all the great things going on at Humanity Media?
4: Uh, just the usual, man. You guys know the spiel. Uh, there wasn't, for, I don't know, we didn't do a Super B.S. this week, so you might not get that, but there will be, you know, new Inside Sports, new topic uh Attack of the Humanicans. Been a busy week.
2: It sounds like it. It Just buy in your voice or whatever's left of it, because I know you've been going through a lot of podcasts lately, and to check out all of his good stuff, check it out, Humanikin Media on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Podbean podcast.com and iTunes aka Apple podcasts Well, we have got a great episode, like I said, we just tell you I'm just packed full of stuff, a lot of great movies because it's our fall movie preview. Rob McCallum and I are going to be uh, talking a little bit later on on some of the great films that we're looking forward to as well coming in the next four months. Plus also as well, Rob and I are going to talk the Star Wars episode 9 directoral change. Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast is going to give you some quick tips for your fantasy roster for week one. We're also going to speculate as well the future for the 007 films as well, and another great song from Plasma Z. We'll first start off, like I said, with our fall movie preview, and what better way to start with the man and myth the legend himself, Josh Peterson. Josh, I know there's some movies that you're targeting, including the first big movie of the fall season coming out this week in it. Is that correct?
4: Right. I've been reading the book and I've never read the book before, but it's a big old thing. It's like a Bible, but uh, it's actually probably not the best comparison to make for something like it. But the book is good. I'm hearing good things about the movie and I've been trying to stay away from reviews, but I've read a lot of headlines that said it's absolutely terrifying. And from what I understand, the director took a lot of the things out that made the 1980s version seem sort of cheesy when you look back on it now. And, uh, you know, it's got a great cast, like the, the kid from Stranger Things is in, and it seems like all the characters kind of carry themselves well for for something like that. What are your thoughts on it, though?
2: Well, outside of the red balloons being tied to the sewers as well, I want to tell you what, it's just nice to see people highly anticipating uh, movies such as It. In fact, for anything at all, after such a dreary dreary august uh, one of the worst movie months on record at least in the modern era at least this century that's just telling you about how bad august was and how good the fall movie slate is going forward so we've got a lot of great movies to talk about but it i tell you what is scaring a lot of people and like a lot of people i don't like that clown action myself so but it definitely looks like something that stephen king himself is, is really proud of in fact that it is, and Pennywise is coming back on the screen real soon for audiences.
4: Uh, okay, so here's my next one. It's uh, Brad Status with Ben Stiller. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen any trailers for this one?
2: Yes, I did see it, but I had a little bit of leaning for uh, another one of the films that got a lot of buzz for him, and also as well Adam Sandler primarily the Meyerowitz stories. Definitely, I did see Brad Status uh, as far as that. Trailer coming out. And It looks pretty good as well. It could be another uh, uh, one of those uh, solid movies that Ben Stiller every now and then makes uh, when he's not going off the wall in some comedy that you know may may or may not appease audiences.
4: Hasn't done many of those movies in a long time. Like, I think Zoolander two is his last kind of off the wall flick. But for the most part, he's been doing a lot of movies that are toned down in ridiculousness and they're more uh, take place in the real world and kind of have life lessons behind them, which is nice because you can kind of see his maturing as an actor, you know, it's taken him a while, but Brad's status, it's kind of that whole thing where it's a mixture of a coming of age story, but at a different age in life. So he's kind of sees all this stuff, his son's going to college and he looks back, kind of wondering what he's done and what, you know, knowing what all people he knows has done and wanting his son to have something different. That's kind of, I feel like a, a more relatable type of film than a lot of the stuff that's released nowadays.
2: What other films do you see stick out to you as far as something that people shouldn't be missing this fall season?
4: Yeah, I know Rob has talked a lot about the ones I've been excited about, but I do want to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah, I know we've been waiting a long time for this movie and I know the uh, the toys have kind of put some spoilers out there, but I think that there's still enough of this movie that remains a mystery to us that we've got a lot of exciting things planned. You know, this is where everyone's curious about how, uh, what's going to happen to princess Leia in this, how are they going to end her story or are they going to end it? Or are they just going to have her floating off on the millennium Falcon? Like they did in fast and the furious. It's, it's kind of a mystery to us right now, but it's, I think that might be like one of the biggest movies of the year. And I think a lot of people are super excited about it. And I know I've been looking forward to it, so hopefully it doesn't disappoint. I know uh, Rogue One was an incredibly great movie. Yeah, we all just want to know what happened to Luke Skywalker, and I think that's uh, been the lingering question ever since Return of the Jedi came out, and now we finally get our answers to that.
2: Well, Rian Johnson just said in an interview this week that The Last Jedi is, for all intents and purposes, Luke Skywalker. So it has been confirmed that he is considered the last Jedi. So I don't know what that leaves Daisy Ridley or anyone else down the line.
4: I think there's going to be like a rebirth. In, you know, he's the last of the old Jedi or whatever. You know, there's there's something. He's because you know Daisy Ridley's obviously going to do something great.
2: Yeah, absolutely, indeed. I, sh- I think it's like you. It's it's obviously gearing itself towards that, and uh, definitely going to be gearing towards itself that either at the latter part of eight or whatever happens in nine. <laughs> There's a lot happening in nine this week with the directorial change, and Rob and I will be talking about that later this hour, so stay tuned for that. But definitely Star Wars The Last Jedi could, by all intents and purposes, be the number one film by the end of its run that, you know, as far as this year for 2017, it could actually garner over a billion dollars by the end of the year. I that That's a possibility of happening as well, so definitely looking forward to that one. What I've got as far as some of the movies that I'm interested in seeing Justice League for obvious reasons, because, you know, the DC has been all over the place on our good side, on our bad side, indifferent side, doing all the things that, well, DC and Warner Brothers does, which may not always make sense, but at least they, they make for some interesting times. So I'd like to see how the goodwill of Wonder Woman gets parlayed into the Justice League. I know there has been reshoots done by Joss Whedon from Zack Snyder's original vision, so I'm interested to see what exactly is now done to to make it maybe hopefully uh, hopefully a better film in that sense. So definitely looking forward to Justice League and seeing how that fits within the parameters of the DC Extended Universe. Coco, I mean, I I, I really want to see this is this is kind of an off. The beaten path type deal for pixar which pretty much has carte blanche on where they can go within the disney universe so i'm really excited to see where they go with coco and and how they deal with the mexican culture the mexican history and the hispanic culture and history overall i'm i'm definitely interested to see how they possibly will portray that i'm just interested to see how coco will not only look on screen but also will be able to tell a great narrative and be able to educate and also enlighten everyone about uh, Hispanic culture and and heritage and hopefully that will be able to do one and the same as well. And last but not least, it's a George Clooney film, but it's a George Clooney directed film as he directs his good friend Matt Damon in Suburbicon. And I know you've seen the trailers, my friend. You've seen Matt Damon. In the fifties, in those beautiful nineteen fifties picket fence homes and whatnot, dealing with the mafia, and suddenly becoming a man, normal, average, everyday man in the fifties coming to life as far as something else, and having to defend his family in a, I guess, a violent way, as far as a, a far different way than one would expect in the the nineteen fifties suburbia. So, so I ask you, are any of these films? Piquing your interest as far as *Suburbicon*, *Justice League*, or *Coco*.
4: Honestly, I think I'm excited about *Justice League*. I, you know, I know uh, there's been a lot of talk about it, but there hasn't been, you know, with the reshoots and all that. And I think that, um, I, I think the movie's in good hands. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that it's as bad as everyone's saying it was, just because there are reshoots. Remember what happened with Gareth Edwards with *Star Wars: Rogue One*.
2: *World War Z*? That's another one.
4: Yeah, and they're they because that was a great movie. Everyone's like, oh, they're doing reshoots. The movie must been bad, but I don't think that's always the case. I think there's just little tiny things they need to they need to go back and fix after they l- look at it in post production. But I think you know it looks it looks like a fun movie. We're not focused. We you know we don't have to worry about all the backstory. Maybe we'll get a little bit with the uh, the characters we haven't seen on screen yet, but we don't have to worry about that big like awkward story building. You know, like they suffered from in Batman vs Superman and all that. So I'm. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to this one, and I hope that you know with Joss Whedon. I I from what I understand, did a lot of reshoots, but like he didn't necessarily change the basis of Zack Snyder's film except for like some some of the writing, which he's going to get a writer's credit for. But you know, hopefully this is the beginning of something good, and with uh, Justice League kicked off, we'll be able to jump into a new era of DC films that could actually be good.
2: Yeah, definitely looking forward to Justice League to see how that all fits with all that's behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Suburbicon and Coco, Star Wars The Last Jedi, there's so many others. And it all starts with it this weekend. Definitely looking to spark interest back again in people going back to the movies and getting that box office back to where people are used to seeing it. and Definitely going to parlay that, hopefully, into a great fall movie season. What are your thoughts on the fall movie season? Are there any films out there that you're looking forward to that we didn't mention now? Or also as well, when Rob and I step in with our thoughts again, coming up after the break, you know, if you feel like you want to share your thoughts on a movie that we might have missed, please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanic and Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter. Well, it's going to be a great show indeed. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. But before we get to Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, before we get to Rob McCallum as well talking his fall movies plus also as well the Star Wars episode 9 directorial change, it's our good friend Elijah Harrison who we had a chance to talk to in regards to Destiny 2, which he probably is playing right now. It's Plasma Z. And this is Mango, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
3: Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment.
1: Hey, it's Rick and Sherry from the Life in a Kilt podcast.
3: If you are a kilt wearer, a kilt lover, or simply like to gawk, come hang out with us every week on Life in a Kilt podcast.
1: We discuss kilt life, regular life, and everything in between, and underneath.
5: We've got humor, interviews, sketch comedy, pop culture, beer reviews, even indie music. And we discuss it each week in a way that only we can.
1: Well, only the way I can.
5: Oh, hush, I discuss it so much better than you.
1: Whatever, anyway, discover the joys of kilt life without ever leaving the comfort of your own headphones. Kilts aren't required, but if you've got one, feel free to buckle up.
2: That's the Life in a Kilt podcast with Rick and Sherry every week on the ESO Network.
3: We'll do it! Do not do it. Do not do it. I'm, I'm stopping you before you even do it this time, Gerald.
2: I can't help it. I got to do
3: it. And we're no. back with the show. This is the pop. <laughs>
4: oh, no. It's I thought
3: Gerald
2: I had to stop this thing. time. How is everybody out there? Whether it's the PCC Multiverse or Pop Culture Cosmos, we just truly appreciate you listening to the program. Once again, it's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, And I'm here along with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Rob McCallum Films and also the project director for Tiny Rails on Tiny Titan Studios. Get Tiny Rails right now available on Early Access on Steam for $9.99. It's Rob McCallum. How you doing, my friend?
3: Good. Thanks for the plug on Tiny Rails. You can also check it out on Mobile, too, which has some interesting stuff coming up in that it's a free-to-play game both on Android and Apple devices. So if you're an iOS fan or Google Play fan, load it up for free. Check it out. If you don't like premium currency in-game purchases, check it out on Steam for 10 bucks now. It'll go up later. But we're right now talking some great movies, and, and I want to hear your
2: thoughts, Rob, on some of the movies that you're targeting this fall
3: well let's go with the world premiere of power of Skull*, the definitive history of he-man and the masters the universe making its world premiere september 10th in torrance california at PowerCon.
2: and that's a shame because I, i'm from torrance and uh, i miss, i will not be there to see it i'm truly excited though for you guys and i'm happy that i'm hoping it will be a success for
3: for the both of you But there are a lot of good films that are coming out this this holiday, including Kitty, Origins, Evolutions, directed by Ron McCallum, world (laughs) premiere October 27th in London, Ontario.
2: And people wonder where I got my shameless plugging from.
3: (laughs) No, although that will be fun. That is not one of the films that's on my list. I don't think it would be fair. Although it is a pretty good film. I have three on my list, looking at the fall release schedule, basically looking from September 1st all the way up to Christmas, I did not put Star Wars on my list because I think that's kind of a given for anybody that's listening to the show. If you're a pop culture fan, chances are you will have some interest in what's going on with Star Wars The Last Jedi, given that it is finally the true triumphant return of Luke Skywalker and his story and his ongoing saga in the Star Wars universe. So I'm saying we should eliminate that from our list, Gerald. I don't know what's on yours, but I did pick three other films. But what is the first film coming out that excites you this fall?
2: Well, the first one coming out might go under the radar. And that's American Assassin coming this month to theaters. I think that it's really gotten some good vibes. The trailers haven't just been the traditional action fair, so to speak. I think it it might set up as far as if it does well, it looks like it may set up its own parameters as far as future
3: iterations down the line. So, Well, you know, I think you make some good points there. It wasn't one that was on my list. And I'm always wary of assassin titled films because I feel like it's going for the jugular too quick, but who knows? It may just put it on to my secondary list. The first film that I have might be on your list as well. It's Kingsman, the golden circle.
2: I knew you were going to say that one. That is excellent film. That's an excellent choice indeed.
3: Yeah. I thought that the first one was a lot of fun. It really shook up the whole spy secret society service kind of thing and especially for the British roots there with Matthew Vaughn being attached to it as well and playing up the whole James Bond thing. This is a fun kind of wink to the audience of what secret spy missions can be like with still going over the top and still having a good time watching everything kind of unfold. Kingsman Golden Circle is on my list. What else you got there? I have much anticipated The Shape of Water. (laughs) <laughs> I don't
2: know if that one was the most anticipated Guillermo del Toro movie that people wanted to come out with, but yes, that is a very highly anticipated
3: Well, a- anytime del Toro makes a film, I think it's going to draw, draw some eyes because of the visual presence that's going on there. I think it's, uh, I think it's a nice kind of interesting take on, on on a romance story. It feels a little driven by the beauty and the beast kind of mechanic of what's going on there. Two people from different worlds find a common connection and fall in love with one another. But what I like about it is the stylized look. It has a very Bioshock kind of feel. The steampunky, period, 1930s, archaic, by our standards, technology. There's just so much atmosphere going on. And Del Toro is a master storyteller. Sign me up for this. Number two on your list. Numero dos,
2: for me, is got to be Blade Runner 2049. And I know Blade Runner is not your cup of tea as far as being a film that has inspired. Uh, <laughs> it and, is and
3: not. I many. will go back and promise I will watch one of the versions that exist.
2: Uh, I will say it has inspired many other filmmakers. How sure. about that?
3: As far but how as many th- of those filmmakers have two feature length documentaries coming out this fall?
2: Not many. Not of that many. But not, you not, did not mention not. one that it has impressed. Del Toro has (laughs) has mentioned that on numerous occasions as inspiration for his films. So going back on that, Blade Runner 2049, obviously uh, the successor to the long-running and long-thought-of-in-pop culture Blade Runner films. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing that dynamic between Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Jared Leto, and that whole dynamic as far as where the idea of replicants and replicants in our society is going and how the threat of replicants taking over
3: is really become prominent at that point in time. Well, I'm going to turn it right back at you and ask you for your number three anticipated film, outside Star Wars, The Last Jedi, of course, coming in Q4, 2017. Hit me!
2: Well, it's not Jumanji, I'm sorry. Um, It's
3: not Jumanji Back in the Jungle?
2: No, 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 it's not. Um, It is... Thor Ragnarok. Oh,
3: why did you have to go with
2: that? Because for me, this has been the first time I've ever been excited to see a Thor film ever. I really like the buddy comedy dynamic that they've been trying to push between Thor and Hulk. And it just definitely looks like something that if it's done correctly and done well, could be really, really a fun time and help set up the future Infinity War movie next year.
3: My third film, and that is murder on the orient express.
2: Ah, uh, good choice, very good choice.
3: I I think this film has has got the chops and I really like all the key components starting with director Kenneth Branagh who I'm a huge fan of who also plays Hercule Poirot in this. But listen to this cast, okay? Johnny Depp, Michelle Pfeiffer, Daisy Ridley, Willem Dafoe, Penelope Cruz, Kenneth Branagh as I mentioned, Josh Gad, Judy Dench, like it just goes like on and on. There's like The who's who's of character actors in here populating this classic murder mystery on a train and from the you know creative director of tiny rails you know you can't find a better match at this point it's just it's just kismet as as you will but agatha christie novel obviously just chock full of star power and despite the amount of times that this is this source material has been covered in plays and other film and television adaptations it just this feels like it's a good band of, of actors to put it together, and this feels like the right time to do it. And Kenneth Branagh is a remarkable director.
2: Kenneth Branagh, as far as the is concerned, he's had some some pretty good movies himself. So
3: I'm definitely looking forward to this as well. I thought that was an excellent choice. It is a classic whodunit, and uh, I'm excited to see this this come together right here. I think I think I think we got it made. Well, that does it for my list on on films to look out for. If you can only see three, four, including Star Wars, I got Golden Circle, The Kingsman, Murder on the Orient Express, and The Shape of Water as well. And that would actually get you one film per month to trek to your local cinema. What are your What are your picks again to remind listeners?
2: Well, my picks are American Assassin, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and Thor Ragnarok, and then of course, obviously, like you said, The Last Jedi as well. When a good movie hits and it's you know a lot of people go see it, it generates that enthusiasm not just in social media, but in your daily life, get more of that type of water cooler conversation that really generates enthusiasm and hopefully gets people back into going seeing films once again. I agree. I agree as well. And that's like I said, if you have any questions or thoughts on your choices for films this upcoming fall season, share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, GameSource, and Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, this is the Pop Culture Cosmos.
3: Didn't do it. Or? No! I thought we got out. I thought we got out. (laughs) Clean. We did not. We did not. No, we did not.
2: This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Stores. I'm here along with my good friend, Mr. Rob McCallum of Rob McCallum Films. Check out robmccallumfilms.com and also as well, he is the project director of Tiny Titan Studios. They have an awesome game, Tiny Rails, which you can get on early access today, $9.99 on Steam and also available free to play on mobile.
3: It's a true story. Thanks for having me. Glad I'm here again. It's almost becoming a regular thing. It is, it is, and it's great to have you back indeed. Just fresh in, hot fresh. off the presses, fresh. Kathleen Kennedy has done another Magic 8-Ball shakeup in the Star Wars universe. If you caught it because you were paying attention to anything in the news, you have probably heard that Colin Trevorrow is out for director and likely writer of Star Wars Episode Nine. now. Now, I say likely writer because I don't know what kind of credit will be attributed to him depending on where the final script lies. That's a whole uh, Screenwriters Guild uh, kind of yeah. like decision process, depending on who's uh, contributed what. There was already a writing partner b- brought on early July, from what I understand, and he's basing it on some notes from uh, Ryan Johnson as it was. So he might get uh, a story credit or something maybe uh, less attainable than a screenwriter credit or, or a written by credit. But news is Colin Trevorrow is out for Star Wars Episode 9, still as of no title yet. It will follow up to Last Jedi, which comes out this December. I uh, directed and written by Ryan Johnson, who has been rumored to be up for it as well, but he's in post on Last Jedi. We're not sure if he's going to have it in him to do the sequel. JJ Abrams has come up. This is the fourth time that another well, director has to I- put I want to put something
2: out there as well. You know, uh, uh, and I will have to apologize in advance to the company that you work for, Tiny Titan Studios, but I want to put out there that you know, to the studio and, and Kathleen Kennedy that Rob McCallum might be someone that, that could fill the role admirably, the, the shoes of the director for Star Wars 9. Just just saying, just saying. We'll,
3: we'll, we'll get to that, Gerald. We'll get to that. So we, we've seen so far Tony Gilroy take over for Gareth Edwards on the massive reshoots of Rogue One. We saw Chris Miller and Phil Lord get ousted from Han Solo and be replaced by Ron Howard. We've seen Josh Trank get booted off an unnamed Star Wars anthology film. And now we're seeing Colin Trevorrow, who of course helmed Jurassic World to $1.6 billion at the box office, taken out of episode nine. Now, a lot of, from what I understand, is creative differences. They couldn't manage their relationship. There was script woes with his contribution, hence bringing on this other collaboration partner, comes down to the big question. The big question, my friend, that I see as I read between the headlines here what does it take to be a director on a star wars film to be
2: more of a yes person you have to be able to uh, be very agreeable and be very amenable to whatever lucasfilm wants and as a directive and all you know obviously ultimately disney as well because they're the ones that are playing ball with this hallowed and beloved universe and they don't want to muck it up in any way possible. And if any director comes in there with their own kind of ideas that may be maybe a little bit out of the box or maybe stray a little bit too far from where they want, then obviously it's not going to fly with definitely Kathleen Kennedy and, and the folks at Disney and Lucasfilm. And unfortunately, that's my opinion on it. But apparently that's the case because anything deviating from the norm in the Star Wars universe seems to not go over very well with Lucasfilm.
3: Well, I mean, the, the big question, you know, in response to that, Gerald, is how can you be a great director if you're a yes man or woman in that position? Because being a director, I know one or two things about it, requires you to have vision and an understanding of what the picture is, not just facilitating what a corporation wants to see to sell action figures and t-shirts and theme park tickets. You've got to have a vision for what the story is, and you've got to be unrelenting to get it to where it needs to go
2: i couldn't agree with you more but if you're working talking about the artistry part of the filmmaking experience then that is, is there un- any other well and in this case there might be because the vision is is definitely all from lucasfilm and you as a director when you work on these star wars projects are just helping to guide that vision it looks like they're not really having much of a say or input within the realm of it and it looks like you're just picking up the pieces or in the case of Ron Howard and being able to try and still assemble it together to, to satisfy
3: what the, well, as you said, the corporate narrative wants. Well then, then I guess the question that I would have for Lucasfilm and Disney is why are you hiring auteurs or directors that are known for having a precise vision that attracted you to them because of their diligent, independent spirit? determination for what they see as a way to make a good film without compromise everybody that they've hired and let go has done it their way and had critical and independent success you know they've hit the box office mark whether it's the lego movie with uh chris miller and phil lord whether it's jurassic world and colin trevorrow you know they've worked in on those big films and yet they both both of those pairs a massive independent success as well, like Safety Not Guaranteed, which was a Sundance hit for Colin Trevorrow, which is what got Spielberg's attention. It was like a $5 million movie or something like that, and it was sci-fi. It was out of the box. It was about this guy who wanted to, to do time travel, and it was, it was really clever. He worked within the confines there, but he got the film done the way he wanted to do it, and it was great. Josh Trank, even though it seems from the reports he wasn't easy to work with, He did some excellent filmmaking on... uh, Oh, help me out here. That one with the superheroes. Oh, Chronicle? Yeah, that's it right there. Chronicle, yeah. So, like, he he did that all on his own. Like, that was a breakout indie hit for him, which makes sense why they would try to give him Fantastic Four. And then that obviously went super south. But there was a lot of reasons why that went south, too, outside of Trent. Again, there's a lot of people. Gareth Edwards, uh, you know, you have Monsters, which is a huge indie hit for him. Then he gets to do Godzilla, Again, another box office success that was proven stylistically. And then you oust them from reshoots on Rogue One. I don't know what Disney's doing here. It's like they try to get the fan base excited by bringing in these pop culture dynamos that have indie cred that have proven themselves on, on a bigger level. And then when they don't agree with them, they replace them with somebody else who's, I don't know, a yes man, like you said, or somebody else who's just got more seasoned experience, just competent enough to get the job done after it's been done 75%. I don't know if it's a safe job to ever take a directing gig on a Star Wars film. Uh, Unless you're someone like Steven
2: Spielberg, who seems to have enough cachet where he, can. you know what? I
3: don't, I don't think that he would take it because I don't think he would want to be in a situation where it's volatile enough that they're firing directors at the rate that they're firing. When is the last time we've seen a franchise on any level overturn creative talent like this? Never mind you. We don't have many franchises on this level, but even like the DC universe, if you, if you kind of compare that stuff to what's going on in Star Wars. And this you is don't top talent, kind of too. This,
2: this is top talent, you know, high-ranking talented directors. And for Star Wars Episode Nine to still be in limbo like this, you know, basically what, a year out from production is still... It's not good. It's not a good sign at all.
3: You're right. These are all like A list directors, all A list people that have the box office dollars in the billions by their name and they're being ousted. Something is going on there. I get it's always easier from a studio system perspective to say no than it is to say yes, because if something happens, when you say yes, it's your butt that's on the line. You know, you pick this person. Well, if they don't perform, then it's you and you're the one that has to answer for it. And it just it's the domino effect that trickles down. So, but at so the same i want to ask you. Fan base what? confidence has got to be shuddering at this point. Uh, I that I agree, but
2: let me ask you. You know, like I said, director of Nintendo Quest, one of the best video game documentaries that's out there. Watch it today on Amazon Prime, uh, or as you know, uh, you or Jay, I think, says all the time, play it in the background, please. But on yeah. uh, <laughs> repeat. There. What if that phone behind you? rings and it is kathleen kennedy asking you for the gig how would you approach that what would be your concerns and and would you actually eventually say yes at trying to go ahead and helm this kind of you know obviously very important project
3: Well, I, as you were in the process is explaining the guidelines for the scenario the, the first and immediate thought i had honestly was i have to see the script I would have to see the script first before I can make a decision. And to everybody out there, that sounds nuts. Because if I'm being offered Star Wars, why wouldn't you just say yes? I don't want to get in over my head. I want to be able to read that script. I want to make sure I understand it. I want to make sure I can connect to it. And I want to make sure I get it. Because if I don't get it, then I can't do a good job and I'm going to be fired too. And I'll just be another footnote in the Star Wars kind of Wikipedia page. I don't need that. I don't need that. I can't do a good job unless I get it. And honestly, it sounds really strange because it's the fan guy in me. I'll say, yeah, of course you're gonna direct a Star Wars film, you'll figure it out, you'll figure it out, you know. But the first thought was, I gotta read the script to see what I'm in for, you know, that's that's what it would come down to, and I think that would probably be a pretty fair uh, request,
2: yeah. And I don't blame you a bit because if it's something that you know it's doomed to fail on your end, as far as because you're gonna ultimately get the heat for anything that goes wrong with it or anything that you see that you don't like, so. I can understand from that perspective. And obviously with being a director in the star Wars universe, being such a tenuous position, obviously if it was something that you were even interested in, then it would be very difficult to take it under those current circumstances.
3: Yeah. It's uh like I said, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, like I said, Colin Trevorrow's breakout film was safety, not guaranteed. And that kind of describes the feeling of anybody that's going to be in a director's chair on a Star Wars film. And, hey, you know what? He's the first one in a Skywalker saga film to get booted. You know, J.J. Abrams got Episode 7. Ryan Johnson got Episode 8. And all the other hiring and firings are all anthology films. So I think to a degree fans aren't that concerned because until Rogue One, we didn't really understand the scope of them, how would they would impact the main storyline, how consequential would it be easy to brush them off as, oh, it's not a big deal if it, if it didn't hit. Sure, it's Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars with a capital S. Now we're talking about something that has hit the Skywalker Saga hard. Smack dab, the last installment, maybe the most critical installment. And hey, do I got a point to Return of the Jedi with Richard Marquand, who you know people say is probably the worst director of the original trilogy. Maybe it's not fair to him. George was also a little bit of a control freak there, coming in to try to shepherd him what's going on. Spielberg was supposed to replace him on doing that. Does Spielberg come back now, as you may were suggesting, to close this chapter out like he was supposed to close Jedi? I think he would be more amped if he were offered a 007
2: film because I've read throughout history of his tenure that he's always wanted to direct
3: a Bond film. Well, the one guy that I know is dying to direct a Bond film is Quentin Tarantino. He's dying to do a Bond film. I don't know about Spielberg. I mean, I get why he wants to do Bond, but it's part of the reason why he did uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders Lost Ark. As a response to him not being able to do, I think it was like Octopussy, I think, something like that. But I think that worked out pretty well for him, too. So we'll see.
2: This is again Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films and Tiny Tiny Studios. It's been a great pleasure having you host this segment of the Pop News Roundup. It was truly appreciate always you being a part of the pop culture cosmos.
3: Yes, I finally got you to do it properly. <laughs>
2: For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back for the program. This is the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. We truly appreciate, again, you being here and listening in because it is that time of the year. The NFL season is well, actually, it's already started by the time you're hearing this, so yeah. it's going to be a great, great, great weekend. A lot of people are excited out there, but there's no one more excited than our good friend from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. It's Tyler Baker. How are you, my friend?
5: Excited. <laughs> you know me well. It is that time again that the slumber is over. The hibernation is broken. It's time for some real football. Indeed it is, but
2: first off, before we get into specifics as far as everything going on for week one that people need to be aware of and target for their fantasy rosters, where can they get your awesome podcast, which plays, what, two, three times a week, the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast?
5: Yeah, you can find the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all those good places, and I will be doing podcasts on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Tuesdays to help you uh, navigate the waiver wire Thursday just to let you know what's going on and then Saturdays to look over the injury report the Saturday podcast is going to be really important because Friday's injury report will be out and we'll know who's going to play on Sunday and who's not
2: that's great news indeed so that's Tuesday Thursday and Saturday check it out the fantasy football pay dirt podcast on iTunes Apple Podcasts, Google Play Stitcher and more I want to focus in on a lot of good stuff, and I know we don't have a whole lot of time to do it in, so I want to get as much as we can as possible. First thing, the surprise roster cuts that really stuck out to you and people need to be made aware of in case they have them on their fantasy roster.
5: Yeah, Will Ty, tight end for the New York Giants, was cut. What that means is Evan Ingram, their rookie, is slotted to play a lot this year. Uh, also, Matt Jones from the Redskins is now a Colt, That may come into play if Fred Gore gets hurt. Brock Osweiler is a Denver Bronco once again. Victor Cruz has been cut. And over in San Francisco, Tim Hightower has been cut. And Joe Williams, their third-round rookie, is also on the IR. And that means that Matt Breida is now Carlos Hyde's backup. Now, that is important because Carlos Hyde is often injured. So Matt Breida is a name that you will want to be looking for if you have room on on your bench.
2: There's some good advice indeed. Unfortunately, myself, Matt Barkley, a former Trojan, one of uh, uh, yeah, a yeah. One of school that I went to for brief bit. Uh, he was also given the axe as well. He'll probably yes. show up somewhere in somebody's sure. roster at some point of time and throw yeah. a lot of interceptions, indeed. But uh, <laughs> that being beside the point, which trades also this week? Because like you know, this was the week that everybody pairs down to fifty-three man on the roster. Yes. What trades stuck out to you that people me- also need to be made aware of? For their fantasy rosters?
5: Well, the previous re- regime in San Francisco had given tight end Vance McDonald a pretty sizable contract. They ended up shipping Vance McDonald over to Pittsburgh, which makes room for George Kittle, could be the starting uh, tight end there. And then also, the New England Patriots traded their third string quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts receiver, Philip Dorsett. So Jacoby Brissett is now a Colt and Philip Dorsett is now a Patriot. Now, that is important because the Patriots just put Malcolm Mitchell on injured reserve, and so Philip Dorsett might actually get some playing time sooner rather than later.
2: It sounds like it indeed, and with Tom Brady spreads out the offense like we've talked about before, like no one else does, he shares the wealth quite often. It definitely could be a a good fantasy play indeed. So speaking of fantasy plays that may – proved to be the difference from each team getting a good start to as opposed to maybe a bad start what under the radar guys do you think people should play right away maybe they have on the back end of the roster or maybe should prioritize to being a top player on their fantasy team
5: well, at this point in the season, you pretty much want to play guys where you drafted them because we really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but there are some under-the-radar guys. Chris Carson is a running back in Seattle, and all of the guys in front of him are very injury-prone, so he might be somebody you want to look at to put on your bench. Also, Mike Tolbert is a guy that you may want to pick up, especially if you have LaShawn McCoy on your team because Jonathan Williams, who was his backup, got cut. And now Mike Tolbert from Carolina uh, is a bruising back and will definitely take some touchdowns away from McCoy. And if McCoy should go down, uh, Mike Tolbert will be the guy that will be running the ball. Also, Cooper Cup is a guy that is probably already on people's radar, but is still worth a look. We just talked about Matt Breda and Wendell Smallwood. I'm expecting him to eventually take over running back duties in Philadelphia.
2: That's some pointed advice on some guys, maybe under the radar and also maybe still on that waiver wire that you mm-hmm. can actually pick up today on your fantasy football league wherever it's at. Once again, I've got Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Catch it today on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and also his great articles on DKLegends.com. Tyler, I want to ask, of course there's a few injuries that people need to be updated on and the status going forward and also some outages that are going to be caused due to suspension, what have you. Obviously, the first name that I had talked to you about before the broadcast, Andrew Luck. What exactly is the situation going into the season and where does it shape out to maybe he might possibly be able to return so people may be able to stick him back in that starting lineup?
5: Well, it'll be a little while, and the Colts just traded for uh, a backup quarterback. We know he's not going to play this week. I would assume he's probably not going to play next week, and the Colts are being really tight-lipped about it. There's a lot of things, a lot of rumors, I guess you could say, that maybe it's in his head and maybe it is just his shoulder, I don't know. Uh, A a lot of it's hearsay. I like like to deal in what we know. What we know is that he's not practicing and what we know is that he's not throwing in practice. And until he starts throwing in practice, then we're just going to be cautious about it. If I were to put a number on it, I would say maybe week four, maybe week three, but definitely not this week and probably not next week as well.
2: Understood. And also there's another injury that people need to be made aware of that you and I had talked about previously, and that's the great Odell Beckham Jr. with
5: his, I believe it's an ankle injury, correct? It is. It is. And the last time I talked to you, I said that there was a, I felt like there was a 90% chance he was going to play. I'm going to come off of that a little bit (laughs) and say that it's more like 50%. Even if he does play, it looks like he might be somewhat of a decoy. If you have him and you have to play him, you have to play him. But if you can put someone else in your starting lineup that would probably be ideal
2: okay no problem indeed because that definitely that's going to be a day-to-day with seeing how he can test the ankle to see if he can get that explosion and keep somewhat of his elusiveness out there on the field so definitely uh, some some things people need to be made aware of and check out his facebook site Fantasy football Pater podcast on Facebook to get all the updates on all the injuries and all the player transactions. And in fact, Oldell Beckham Jr. I'm sure will become will, will probably come up once or twice on the 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 site as uh, you know as well going into Week One. Any other injuries that we want need to focus on before
5: we talk about Ezekiel Elliott? There's been a couple minor ones. Couple guys uh, limited in practice, but nothing major.
2: Okay, so pretty much a go for right now. People getting ready for the for the season, which you know always leads me to believe that they need to shorten the exhibition season. But that's just me. That's (laughs) just sure. But by at least two games. But anyways, I won't won't go that's for another day. But I want to talk again, like I said about Ezekiel
5: Elliott. He is scheduled to play week one, correct? That's right. The NFL's arbitrator had a specific time where he had to submit his ruling. He missed that deadline. Because of that, Ezekiel Elliott will be playing in week one. Now, the NFL has, has upheld the six-game suspension. They did not give him a reduction on it. And if one was offered, Ezekiel Elliott's side denied it because I think that they're trying to just do away with the whole thing. So what they've done is even before the arbitrator handed down his ruling, they uh, Ezekiel Elliott camp had already petitioned a judge to stop the suspension. And we are expecting to hear something from the judge on Tuesday, I think is the latest date that I heard. But at some point early next week, we'll know what the judge says, because the judge can come in and put a hold on it until the case can go to court.
2: So in essence, it's an all or nothing type situation, correct?
5: At this point, it is. Yes.
2: So people who have Ezekiel Elliott on their roster, they have to be wary and keep focused on your site, Fantasy Football Pater Podcast on Facebook, and also DKLegends.com to keep that information flowing on exactly where his status is. Is that correct?
5: Exactly. And like I said, we'll know sometime next week. The Facebook page is really good because people can get on there and ask me questions. If anybody has a question, it's that's the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, but we will definitely put something on the DKLegends.com website when something happens and when we know something
2: that's awesome indeed and then also check out his great podcast coming three times a week that is the fantasy football pater podcast on apple which is itunes and apple podcasts google play and stitcher among everything else that you can find his great podcast at tyler it's greatly appreciated that you could stop by on such short notice to give us an update on week one because we're already underway with the NFL season. So we truly appreciate you stopping by, especially (laughs) with all the work and and the heavy amount of
5: stuff that you've got going on right now. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It's it's always great to be here. And uh, thank you for everything, you guys. And thank you for keeping me up to date on what's going on with the Star Wars movie because this is something I need to know about too.
2: Yeah, well, they, you know, if you've got a Star Wars director on your fantasy roster, you may want to go ahead and put him on the bench because you never Look know who's going to be you, you never know who's going to be put in there instead. So, wait and see. Ron Howard, you know, he might be coming back for another one. You never know. He's
5: I, I think he's on the waiver wire.
2: Yeah, he's he's already on the Han Solo deal, so they may bring him back for number 9 as well. Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, dklegends.com. We truly appreciate you stopping by, and you will be here next week to give everybody an update on week two in the NFL, correct? Oh, absolutely. Already looking forward to it. As always, we truly appreciate, Tyler, you being part of the PCC multiverse.
3: Rob McAllen Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Greyskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films.
2: And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford for Pop, Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. We truly appreciate you having listened to the show today. And I'll tell you what, as we close out the show, we just want to remind you again... Check out all of our shows that are available on the podcast radio network. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos show every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, although this week uh, the station had issues, so sorry about that. We also have Attack of the Mannequins that's available on 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday. And, of course, this show every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the podcast radio network. But if you cannot get... Our show on the Podcast Radio Network or the, the Pop Culture Cosmo show, no problem. The Pop Culture Cosmo channel you can find on any one of these outlets. iTunes, TuneIn, the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunny Geek Network, Cast Crunch, Social Podcasts, PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com, and on the Game Source YouTube page, you will also be seeing uploads of the episodes as well. Starting with the Pop Culture Cosmos episode 50, I can't do the entire one; it takes way are, too long. Are to- we
4: on Napster and LimeWire. Is that
2: no? That we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, but if it was well, if it was back 10 years ago, we would have definitely been on there already. But uh, we are going back to be have our shows on the GameSource YouTube channel, including the bonus content for everything except for what plays live on the podcast radio network. So Josh, as we close everything out this week, I wanna ask you, did you get a chance to see the news in regards to the future of the 007 films?
4: Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on.
2: So I ask you, there's so many major players now vying for the future of the 007 films which includes these Sonys, the Warner Brothers, the the Universals, all the major film companies, plus Amazon and Apple might be weighing in with some interesting little bids and offers so that the future of the 007 series may go to one of them. So I ask you, Josh, how interesting does that make it? And do you think ultimately it might land in the hands of someone different than a traditional film company?
4: The idea is cool, but it would, I think it would be a pretty stupid move to do that because what experience does Apple have with movies? They don't really have you know, much, not, hardly anything. And Amazon, they do make some pretty great films, but they're new at this whole game. So I think that at this conjuncture in time, giving James Bond to one of them is a, not a very great idea. You know, if I remember correctly, isn't James Bond one of the only films that kept Sony afloat during their uh, their hack?
2: I, absolutely, because MGM had exclusive deal with Sony to distribute, and obviously Skyfall and Spectre came out within that realm, that time frame, and definitely has provided Sony with a great influx of cash even if specter didn't do quite the money that it did with skyfall it still almost gained a billion dollars worldwide
4: right so you know look at it this way like even every james bond movie is going to do well even if the reviews come out bad like the reviews for specter weren't that good and the reviews for quantum souls weren't that good but the movie still garnered a whole ton of money so you know failure succeed james bond is going to make money forever does it now you just got to look at the point of view of what can each of these studios do for you?
2: Uh, absolutely. I, I I don't blame you a bit, but I'm telling you right now, don't underestimate Apple. As far as a distribution platform with iTunes and whatnot, they do have that realm as far as the digital world and the digital realm. And they've had major properties before, not necessarily in the movie realm, but they've had a huge entity in the beatles albums which i understand you can't that's like apples and oranges but they're still used to dealing and and handling a large and very important property such as that so i would say don't underestimate them and also don't underestimate amazon as well i know their film projects are little are, are small much smaller in scale than what sony or universal or what have you would be end up doing but I wouldn't underestimate Amazon throwing in a lot of cash because while the getting's good, they may go ahead and get this
4: large property. Indeed, is Disney vying for James Bond? Is that one of? Is that a company in the works?
2: I have not heard that, but don't be surprised. Uh, you know, we didn't know about the Star Wars universe and Marvel universe going to Disney beforehand either. Correct. Correct.
4: So I mean, Disney's done some good things, but I feel like. You know, James Bond is one of those franchises that kind of stands against the titan that is Disney, so I'm going to have to read more into it before I make any solid guesses.
2: But don't be surprised if you and I are going on that 007 ride at Disneyland at 2020, okay? You heard it here first.
4: I hear they're taking the submarine ride out and replacing it with the Austin Martin submarine fight Russians and stuff.
2: There you go, and you get to hold a Walter PPK as well, so that would be awesome indeed. If you have any thoughts on the 007 distribution rights and who you think should hold them, please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanican Media, Pop Culture Cosmos, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Josh, before we head on out, what's going on with all the great things at Humanican Media?
4: Same stuff, man, same stuff. No super BS this week, but... Uh you can check out Inside Sports and uh, Topic I'm gonna put put some up this week, and I've kind of fallen behind. It's been a busy week, but there's there's definitely some stuff in the works. But um, yeah, for now, just check out Inside Sports. So we're recording a new What About This this weekend, and uh, tune in Tuesday for Attack of the Humanikins.
2: If your voice holds out,
4: right? If my voice, it's barely holding out now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying not to let it crack because that would be just take me back to high school.
2: indeed so for Josh Peterson this is Gerald Glassford it's another beautiful day in paradise here in the PCC multiverse we thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great day
5: this has been a broadcast of the ESO Network your station for all things geek Classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.
4: Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com.
5: Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop
0: Culture Cosmos. Welcome, NFL football fans. That time again. This is an inside sports production. It is time for NFL football talk. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr. A great show coming up. We're going to be uh, breaking down the games of week one. Uh, we're going to have the five best games. We're going to give you our picks. Now, also, we do have for all you fantasy football players out there, our resident expert is going to give you uh, some tips for setting your lineup for week one. And then for some of you who may be in the neighborhood of Vegas or something, we've got our Gambler's Delight special that we're going to give you at the end of the show as well. And then remember, this year we are cranking everything up. So uh, be watching in the coming weeks. Gerald Glassford and Anthony Barbarin, for all of you uh, NBA fans out there, they're going to be breaking that down every week for you. Uh, so all kinds of good stuff going on here at Inside Sports. And remember, you can follow on Twitter at The Inside Sports. So let's go ahead and get everything cranked up here. Without any further ado, here he is, my co-host, the man that I really need to get things cranked up here from somewhere in an undisclosed location in Southern California, where again it has been sweltering, although the heat has died down a little bit here. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Sports. Here he is, the pride
6: of Rutgers University, Chris Lardieri. Chris, what's happening out there, man? Charles, the introduction never gets old. Thank you. Uh, I can't believe the NFL season is upon us. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, fantastic. Now,
0: you know, breaking news, and remember, we're doing this on Tuesday, September 5th. So if you're watching it later, maybe there's some news that came out, and we did, it's not on here. It's because maybe it didn't happen yet, but this is Tuesday, September 5th. We're projecting for the upcoming games. Uh, well, Ezekiel Elliott, that's the big news. The six-game suspension is upheld. But he will be in the lineup to play against your Cowboy, or excuse me, your Giants on this Sunday night. Uh, So is that a ratings type of a thing? Or they say it's because the arbitrator ruled so late in the week, which I don't know if it's late. It's only Tuesday and it would have been Monday had yesterday not been a holiday. But they say it's because the arbitrator ruled so late in the
6: week that he gets to play in week one and then serve his suspension. Does this, do I smell a rat? I'm not sure what to smell anymore, but you know, one of my (laughs) topics tonight here was going to be the Ezekiel Elliott mess, and allegedly one of the investigators, a female, mind you, said he didn't warrant any suspension. So I'm wondering if that's coming into play, the fact that they know this could drag on. And let's face it, the way things are decided now in the NFL is through uh, appeals and the court of laws we saw during Deflategate. And again, look, I'm going to beat a uh, dead horse here, but under Roger Goodell's watch, (laughs) <laughs> the NFL has become the people's court, and Ezekiel Elliott is uh, case number two, apparently. Uh, don't know what to think here, really. If I wanted to understand the law, I would have gone to law school, but it should have been a uh, pretty straightforward appeal, but um, hate to play conspiracy theorist here, but there's got to be some sort of smoke, wouldn't you think?
0: Yeah, I think so. It just all sounds strange. And, you know, even in the wake of all the games being played this week and the Miami-Tampa Bay game being moved out of Miami because of uh, Hurricane Irma, I believe, is that the one that's coming in there? And uh, it's going to be pretty strong. But, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, uh, something is definitely amiss.
6: Absolutely. And, you know, we can talk about this later. The uh, gamblers and fantasy football players out there, (laughs) this is really going to have some... uh, some ripple effects to say the least, but uh, it should make for quite a fascinating Sunday night game. It it seems like the Cowboys and the Giants always open on Sunday night football. So I know uh, over there in 30 Rock in New York, they're pretty happy about this.
0: (laughs) There we go. So you know what, let's go ahead and get right into uh, picking the five most intriguing matchups. There are some others, but we could only pick five. So these are the five we settled on. Uh, Before we do that, Chris, you have any um, uh, awesome nuggets of wisdom for all the NFL public out there?
6: Sure. Last year, all we heard was the NFL ratings were down. Was it due to Colin Kaepernick and the national anthem protest? Was it due to the election? I think all the noise has passed. This will be a year where we'll see kind of a clearer picture. Are the NFL ratings up because of that? Are they the same? Are they down? Can we blame it on the quality of product? If they are down, I'm going to throw something out there. Let's blame Tony Romo, who's now in the CBS booth. So maybe we could do that. Um, Not sure, but it's an interesting trend to follow. Personally, I'm tired of hearing about whether the ratings are up or down, but when uh, you have some of the top primetime programs in all of television and your ratings slip a little, I I guess in America now, uh, you're not popular anymore. So interesting story to watch as the season develops.
0: There we go. Okay, so let's go ahead and get right back into it when it comes to uh, interesting stories. Now, two teams whose uh, quarterbacks look like they may be leading them to at least some level of glory last year. The quarterbacks were injured, but now they're healthy. Oakland Raiders at the Tennessee Titans, Derek Carr on one side, Marcus Mariota on the other. And also in the uh, backfields, we got some good running backs there. Of course, Marshawn Lynch coming back to his hometown of Oakland. And DeMarco Murray, who's uh, in, the, in the backfield for Tennessee. So here we've got Oakland is a two-point underdog. The over-under is 50.5, although we don't pick against the spread here. But uh, Chris, how do you see this game? Who, who, would
6: you, who do you think is going to come out on top? Now right off the bat we see two teams I say to keep an eye out in the in the AFC um, I'm going to be consistent here the Raiders traditionally do not do well when they travel east last year they pulled out a couple of close exciting wins on the East Coast I remember it open the year against New Orleans um, even though it's a central time zone it's a long flight for the Raiders I'm gonna go with the Titans here I really think it's going to be a close game could even be as close as a field goal but uh, I do think that the Titans are well-balanced on both sides of the ball. You know, we talk a lot about Marcus Mariota, the, the backfield, the fact that Mariota's got some new weapons at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But What I really like is their offensive line and defensive side of the ball, and I think that's what they're going to do on both sides. They're going to control the line of scrimmage. Uh, beast Mode's had a year off. Let's see how much rust he's had. Derek right. Hart coming off a broken leg. I think it's a, a good old-fashioned 1970s AFC Oilers versus Raiders slugfest, but I'm picking the Oilers, I mean Titans. <laughs> okay there you
0: go and uh you know dan pastorini i'm sure we'll be watching and ken Stabler would we'll be watching
6: from wherever he is right now absolutely i'm glad i'm glad someone remembers pastorini almost oh, made it most to the definitely
0: situation. and so you know i'm gonna have to go with uh i think they've been chomping at the bit and with beast mode coming back and uh hey amari cooper out there and everything uh you know they got cooper crabtree and another underrated uh addition to the team was also Cordero Patterson, who has a lot of speed, a lot of moves, uh, but he never could quite get into the flow there in Minnesota. I think that's going to help them stretch the field. So, you know, I think this is going to be a great game, but I am going with the uh, underdog Raiders in this one.
6: I think it's good we disagree. First game out of the shoot. (laughs) Okay, here we go. And next game, uh, two
0: teams obviously familiar with each other ever since they played that uh, championship game a few years back. But the Seattle Seahawks in Green Bay to face the Packers, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, great quarterbacks. Uh, The last time they played, it was Green Bay 38-10 back in December of last year. Now, a little bit of a wrinkle here. Uh, Eddie Lacy, who was the running back for, um, for Green Bay last year until he got put to the bench for Ty Montgomery. Now, he is playing. He's in the backfield for the Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks will also be relying on Thomas Rawls to uh, to get things done as well, so really uh, what I look at this game is we know about uh, we know about Rogers, we know what he can do, and also uh, what Montgomery did in the backfield last year. He was starting to come into his own, uh, but I look at that that other side, and I think Seattle still has a little bit of magic, even though there's you know they've got problems along the offensive line still, but Green Bay's defense has been known to collapse later on. Uh, Seattle. Cam Chancellor's been signed. Everything is solid with their defense. I think that that may be the difference in this game. So once again, Seattle, the three-point underdog. I'm going to go with Seattle. And by the way, the over-under here is 51 points for anyone who's interested in
6: that sort of thing. But I'm going to take the underdog again, Mr. Lardieri. Again, we're going to disagree. I'm going to (laughs) go with Green Bay being at home and... uh... Bottom line here, while Seattle's got a stout defense and essentially it's what's carrying the team, as we know, given the uh, locker room charades of Richard Sherman v. uh, (laughs) Mr. Russell Wilson, um, no one seems to like each other on either side of the ball there. But uh, here's one thing to keep in mind. I think that secondary has been a little vulnerable for Seattle. Not a lot of people are talking about it. Uh They do have an excellent pass rush. The addition of Sheldon Richardson would help. But at the end of the day, I've I've watched him too much over the years. Uh, I'm not going to bet against Aaron Rodgers. I saw him carve up this defense last year. Well, I don't think it's a blowout. um, Like you mentioned earlier, I really like the fact that he's got Ty Montgomery. Big upgrade over Eddie Lacy. And let's face it, the guy was a wide receiver at Stanford. He can catch the ball out of a backfield. That's an added dimension they have this year. I'm going with the Packers. Okay, well, there you go. And we shall see.
0: Going to be a fantastic game, just like the first one. And, you know, let's get down to a good old uh, division rivalry. The Philadelphia Eagles, who are a one-point favorite, they're going to be in the nation's capital to take on the Redskins. Uh, The over-under is 47.5. Carson Wentz on one side, a quarterback. We'll see how he does. And then Kirk Cousins, the guy who gets paid $20 million a year, one year at a time. So, hey, great job of managing his career. But, uh, excuse me, the running back for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, uh Garrett Blunt, also Darren Stro- Sproles is back there. Alshon Dre- Jeffrey who was in who was a wide receiver for the Bears for many years, he's now joined. That gives him a way to stretch the field. And uh, but we talk about the defense, D'Angelo Hall, Josh Norman in the defensive
6: backfield. So, looks like a pretty good matchup here. What do you think about this one? Yeah, essentially this is a pickem. Um I like the way the Eagles started the year last year as much as it pains me to say being a Giants fan, <laughs> but uh You know, essentially it's year two with Carson Wentz and Peterson at the helm. I think Blunt's an upgrade. You've always got to worry about Sproles. Watch out for Wendell Smallwood, and not just because he's on my fantasy team. He gives them another uh, kind of change of pace back out of of the backfield there. Uh, And I like the the defensive improvements they've made. And um, look, Kirk Cousins gets paid a lot of money, but uh, when push comes to shove and the game's on the line, he hasn't been able to win the big one. They had basically a hand-wrapped, Present to get into the wild card last year, and the Giants playing for nothing really worked him over and showed, kind of exposed them for what he is. Uh, one thing to keep in mind here: I think the Cousins and the Redskins are going to miss Sean McVay, the new Rams coach. They've also lost Pierre Garcon and Deshaun Jackson in free agency. Right. So uh, I'm not sure if that offense is clicking. I'm going with the Eagles.
0: Okay, and you know what? It took three games, but we're finally going to agree on this one. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go with the Eagles too. But of course. Uh, You know, there's only a one-point difference here, so I would not be shocked if the Redskins win, but I'm going to go ahead and take the Eagles here. We're going to agree on this one, finally. No more strife in the inside sports
6: clubhouse. Fittingly, the city of brotherly love brings us together.
0: (laughs) Okay, and then that Sunday night game, your New York Giants, they're going to be in Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Now, the Giants are a a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, The over-under is 47.5. And of course, Eli Manning, Dak Prescott, and he will have all his weapons there because, like I said, Ezekiel Elliott, for some strange reason, is going to play even though a six-game suspension, which was given before the season started, has been upheld. But somehow, he's going to play in game one, and then take six games off. I, I don't get it, but we'll stay tuned for that. Uh, so I'm going to go with, you know, I, maybe there may be a little bit of a dip in Prescott's play this year. We'll see how he does with the whole sophomore jinx thing, but. I like the Giants' defense. Um, I like the way that I think they're going to get back on track this year. Odell Beckham, uh, is is he going to play or is he out? Does anyone know? Chris? Still don't know, right? (laughs) But, hey, Wayne Gallman out of Clemson at running back. He could be a big surprise for the Giants this year. Something is telling me to go ahead and take the New York Giants.
6: Uh, I'm going to go Giants in this game here. Uh, what do you think? I'm going to agree, and not just because I'm a Giants fan, and don't ever call me a homer. That's one thing I'm not on inside sports. However, right. um, look, I don't want to split hairs here, but let's look at that line. I checked earlier today. The Giants were getting four. I guarantee you a bunch of Cowboys money has come in now that Elliott's back. What do you say, Charles? Yeah. Let's tack on at least another half a point to the point. Giants getting five. <laughs> let's be greedy here. At the very least, these games are always close. They're hard fought. Even if the Giants lose, I could see it being a three or four point difference. Take the Giants. Personally, I think OBJ, in his truly dramatic fashion, will try and make a Willis-Reed-like entrance onto the field. Uh, He's (laughs) off getting rehab somewhere in the desert of of Phoenix. Uh, I think he plays, even if he's on 100%, I'll take a 70% OBJ. Um, The one thing to worry about, though, I think even for Elliott playing, is that Giants defensive line led by Snacks Harrison. They know how to stuff the run, so I think they're going to basically put a lot of men in the box. Maybe creep Landon Collins up and say, you're not going to beat us. Let's see if Dak can beat us. And, and that will be the telltale sign between who wins and loses this game.
0: Yeah, that's true. And then one thing as far as a plus for Dallas, they're saying that uh, Des Bryant, uh, the great wide receiver, he's finally healthy for the first time in probably three seasons here. He's always had the uh, you know the foot, the leg problems, things like that. But they say he's healthy and uh, due for a big year. So this should be a good game and uh, you know a great game for fittingly, to end the day on Sunday. Absolutely. Okay, and then the last game, we're going to go to Monday. The Los Angeles, I got it this right this time, the Los Angeles Chargers in Denver. (laughs) In another uh, division matchup, they're going to play the Broncos. They're a a three-and-a-half-point underdog right now. Uh, The over-under is 43. So Phillip Rivers on one side. Trevor Simeon is going to start under center for the uh, Denver Broncos. The Broncos, with an added dimension of firepower, with uh, Jamal Charles in the backfield there. Uh, How do you see this one? I don't know why I'm going
6: off the intuition on this, and you would normally think, in year two in the offensive system, um, the fact that that defense is essentially still intact despite the uh, release of T.J. Ward, uh, the fact that they seem to have the Chargers numbers. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go with the Chargers getting the three in the hook. I think it could be a close game. If you look at what happened last year, the Chargers beat the Broncos on a Thursday night, and they also... Should have at least come within a point of losing to the Broncos late in the game. Rivers couldn't get the ball in the end zone in the red zone. They ended up losing by, uh, I believe it was eight. So uh, for whatever reason, I think it will be a close game, but the Chargers cover the number. Um, the the second LAC team in Los Angeles, not the Clippers, will cover. I don't know if they'll get their first win in the City of Angels where no one seems to care about them. <laughs> okay,
0: and and by the way, you know the the Broncos they picked up Brock, Brock Osweiler again after he was cut last week. And I'm be, beginning to wonder is is Brock Osweiler to the Broncos what Matt Flynn was to the Packers, where only he can only play in that system and and no other system. Yeah,
6: and apparently if you have one great game on national TV, get yourself a big contract and uh, live off that the rest of your life too. So um, yeah, I'll tell you what the Broncos better hope that uh, that Simeon doesn't get hurt because I. Honestly, I think at this point I might prefer Paxton to Ross by a
0: Yeah, definitely. But I'm going to go with uh, I got to go with the Broncos here. I mean, playing at home and uh, Jamal Charles uh, is in the backfield, and there's a lot of uh, the the Denver Broncos team is really upbeat. The Broncos defense is still just as fierce as ever, and we got Philip Rivers, who you know he knows how to give away a game here and there. So I'm going to go with Denver in this one.
6: Come on, have a little faith in Philip. He stayed. He didn't uproot his kids from San Diego. He's got himself a driver to go to practice. Give the guy some credit. I know he is a joke artist at times.
0: <laughs> All righty. So just to recap before we get into the, uh, to the other segments here, Oakland at Tennessee, we split on that one. Um, I'm going with Oakland, and Chris goes with Tennessee. And then Seattle and Green Bay, we split on that one. I'm going Seattle, Chris goes Green Bay. We do agree we're taking the Giants against the Cowboys. And then Philadelphia, Washington. Uh, we're going. We're both going with the Eagles, and then we split again on uh, the Los Angeles Chargers at Denver. Uh, Chris, for some reason, likes the Chargers here, and I'm going with the Broncos. So,
6: Brink here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games, mostly. Oh, yeah.
0: That's that. Now, here we've got a segment. We get into our gambler's delight special. Now, here's what this is. We don't we don't advocate gambling here. Of course, this is only for entertainment purposes. But if you happen to be in Vegas where gambling is legal and you got 20 bucks burning a hole in your pocket, you're walking by the sports book, what should you bet on? Is there a certain game and a point spread that you like? Is there an over-under that you just can't resist? What is it? So, what we're gonna do is turn to the Jersey guy. Who's uh, kind of familiar with these things, even though he doesn't have to di- disclose
6: anything. But Chris, Gamblers' Delight pick. What do you got this week? Oh, I love stereotypes. That just because I have a vowel at the end of my last name too. <laughs> there's no, there's no gambling, no gambling in New Jersey whatsoever. Other than some card tables in Atlantic City. So, uh, look, um, from a gambler's perspective, I'm not a huge fan of Week One. There's always upsets. This is a big part of the reason why I don't do Survivor. Anymore, even if they are for fun. Uh, I remember back in the day, the little Houston Texans beating the Miami Dolphins on opening day. That said, um, yeah, one of the one of the underdogs I kind of like was the Chargers. But I'll give you another one: the Arizona Cardinals headed to Detroit to take on the new uh, oh, what is that ninety-plus million dollar man, Matt Stafford. I lost track by now. Yeah, <laughs> he got date, a home underdog, which always raises my eye and gets the light bulb going. Um, getting one point essentially a pick'em, but. You know what? Uh, The Cardinals traditionally don't always travel well. They don't always start the season well, as we saw last year against the Patriots. I know this is a new year, but uh, I could see this game being somewhat of a shootout, an exciting game. Um, Apparently the Lions defense doesn't like to do too much. We'll see if that changes this year. But uh, for some reason, a home underdog, Matt Stafford, I could see this being a wild affair coming down to the end of the game. I'll just go out on a limb and say the Lions win. Now, that said, I'm not super confident on this. Like I was last year betting against Phillip Rivers and the other team was getting points. Uh, However, like you said, maybe 20 bucks, save, man, cut it in half. Take 10 bucks and go to Starbucks and get yourself a small drink. Put the other 10 on the Lions plus one. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and what
0: I'm doing is I'm taking another
6: underdog, and that is a team with something
0: to prove. The New Orleans Saints, and I know they're not great on the road, but New Orleans Saints in Minnesota to face the Vikings, the Saints are a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Take the Saints and all those points. Adrian Peterson's in the backfield. He's going home to Minnesota. He's going to have something to prove. That crowd is going to be there. Uh, Drew Brees is going to be throwing. And then you got Sam Bradford on the other side. Is Sam Bradford to win a shootout? Really? I don't think so. New Orleans, plus three and a half. Take those points, and you can thank both me and Chris on next Tuesday. Absolutely.
2: Hey everyone, venture into the Pop Culture Cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the Cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome
6: to the Pop Culture Cosmos.
0: Okay, so here we go. Now all of you, some of you don't gamble because uh, fantasy football is not gambling, by the way. It's been proven it's not gambling, but we do have our resident expert. Chris, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself, how many years you've been at it. And we know that your fantasy picks are on point. So what have you got for this weekend? Everyone's setting their
6: lineups. Uh, Talk to us. Hi, I'm Chris Sardieri. I'm your resident fantasy football expert. Unlike most, I don't have a website or a show to promote, and I'm not going to give you my rankings any anyway. week. That said, I will give you some nuggets based on uh, three-plus decades of watching football and the fact that uh, I've played fantasy long enough and sometimes you just need to use your eyes instead of looking at numbers and rankings all the time. Uh, your draft is over. Your team's set. Do not overthink your lineup decisions in week one. Uh, whoever your starters are, the like starters on your team, play them don't go and play, say, for instance, Jamal Charles in Denver. Will he get some reps? Absolutely. But he's not the starting running back. C.J. Anderson is. So my my moral of the story for week one, don't overthink it. Go with what you know. I've got Marcus Mariota on one team. I'm not going to bench him because he's playing the Raiders and they've got a good defense. Let the chips fall where they may. In week one, a lot of times, the defenses are sluggish. You could see some shootouts or some points. So go with what you know. Don't start rotating guys yet. Secondly, A very important thing, Sunday night, waiver wire activity. A lot of leagues won't unlock the waivers until Tuesday after the Monday night games. You need to start doing your homework Sunday night, Monday morning. And what you need to do is look for players who had big weeks. Look to see who got injured. I know the, the greatest fantasy football waiver pickup in history was Kurt Warner. You're not going to find him. He was a uh, the black swan, needle in the haystack, whatever phrase you like. However, there are guys out there you can get that will help your roster and will propel your team to victory. Uh, last year, Keenan Allen got hurt in the second quarter of game one. I managed to get out there and pick up Dontrell Inman, who later in the year turned out to be a good wide receiver. There's a guy out there last year in week one that a lot of people overlooked bears running back jordan howard he wasn't even going to be the starter he had a good game scored a touchdown against the texans it's guys like that you want keep an eye on them they kind of slide below the radar you pick them up now even if you have to stash them on your bench for a few weeks keep them there because they might emerge as starters so you're not necessarily going to win the title in week one but the the waiver wire will never be this fruitful so keep your eyes open watch the highlights look at the stat sheets and good luck
0: <laughs> okay, there we go. And everybody, uh, remember, you can follow Chris on Twitter at L Sports. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at The Inside Sports. And by the way, those of you who are watching the video, if these look like Miami Dolphin colors, that uh, definitely is. I'm sporting the aqua and orange uh, to support my favorite team, even though I'm unbiased here on the show. But I do love the sport. And just like all you out there, I do have my favorite teams and players. I happen to be a Dolphins fan, Chris is a Giants fan, but we are completely impartial here. So thanks for joining us. We'll be here every single week through the season. We got the picks for you. We got, the, uh, we got fantasy football for you a Gambler's Delight special, everything you need. This is one-stop shopping right here. So everybody, for Chris Lardieri, this is Charles E. Smith Jr. Thank you for watching this Inside Sports production of NFL Football Talk. Remember, watch for our NBA show coming up in a few weeks with uh, Gerald Glassford and Anthony Barbarin. But thank you for joining us. We'll see everyone next week.
2: We're back with the show it is the
3: pop culture Ugh, he did it again did
2: it this again is gerald, this is gerald glasser from pop culture cosmos and game source i'm here along with my good friend mr rob mccallum and i'll tell you what it is time again we're going to discuss the latest pop talk and the latest pop culture items that are out there and in fact he is going to take center stage remember this is rob mccallum of rob mccallum films check out rob Films.com and also as well he is the project director of tiny titan studios they have an awesome game tiny rails which you can get on early access today 9.99 on steam and also available free to play on mobile
3: it's true story thanks for having me glad i'm here again it's (laughs) almost becoming a regular
2: thing it is it is and it's great to have you back indeed but uh yeah you wanted to go ahead and, and and just you know talk over some of the great issues that are out there there's some really you know you were kind of worried that there might not be enough news from our back-to-back episodes that we had but sure enough uh, a lot of new and interesting features and stories have come about and uh, I'll hand it over to you as as a uh, I guess a more experienced host than I in regards to handling all these great pop culture issues and I'll try to do my best to keep up with you as well.
3: All right. Well, last time you uh, you enjoyed yourself so much being on the opposite ends of the cosmic round table, so to speak. So I thought I'd come back with a little, little more of the news observations, what's going on in the realm of pop culture and everything that makes our world go tickety boom. So we're back with another pop culture cosmos news roundup. And to start things off, we can't get bigger than this. Just fresh in, hot fresh, off the presses. Fresh. Kathleen Kennedy has done another Magic 8-Ball shake-up in the Star Wars universe. If you caught it because you were paying attention to anything in the news, you have probably heard that Colin Trevorrow is out for director and likely writer of Star Wars Episode Nine now. Now, I say likely writer because I don't know what kind of credit will be attributed to him depending on where the final script lies. That's a whole uh, Screen Actors Guild uh, or Screen Writers Guild uh, kind of yeah. like. Decision process depending on who's uh, contributed what. There was already a writing partner b- brought on early July, from what I understand, and he's basing it on some notes from uh, Ryan Johnson as it was. So he might get uh, a story credit or something maybe uh, less uh, attainable than a screenwriter credit or, or a written by credit. But news is Colin Trevorrow is out for Star Wars Episode 9, still as of no title yet. It will follow up The Last Jedi, which comes out this. December, uh, directed and written by Ryan Johnson, uh, who has been rumored to be up for it as well, but he's in post on Last Today. We're not sure if he's going to have it in him to do the sequel. J.J. Abrams has come up. This is the fourth time that another well, director I, has come up. I want to put something out there as well. I want to put something out there as well. You know,
2: uh, uh, and I will have to apologize in advance to the company that you work for, Tiny Titan Studios, but I want to put out there that you know, to the studio and and Kathleen Kennedy that Rob McCallum might be a actually a good good you know someone that that could fill those roles the role admirably the, the shoes of the director for for the next uh, Star Wars nine uh, just just saying just saying we'll,
3: we'll we'll get to that Gerald we'll get to that so we we've seen so far to- Tony Gilroy take over for Gareth Edwards on the massive reshoots of Rogue One. We saw Chris Miller and Phil Lord get ousted from Han Solo and be replaced by Ron Howard. We've seen Josh Trank get booted off an unnamed Star Wars anthology film. And now we're seeing Colin Trevorrow, who of course helmed Jurassic World to $1.6 billion at the box office, taken out of Episode Nine. Now a lot of from what I understand is creative differences... They couldn't manage their relationship. There was script woes with uh, his contribution, hence bringing on this other collaboration partner. Comes down to the big question. The big question, my friend, that I see as I read between the headlines here, what does it take to be a director on a Star Wars film?
2: To be more of a yes person, whether it's uh, you know uh, something as far as you know one of the offshoot films or one of the direct line films you have to be able to uh, be very agreeable and be very amenable to um whatever lucasfilm wants and and as a directive and you know obviously ultimately disney as well because they're the ones that are playing ball with this hallowed and beloved universe and they don't want to muck it up in any way possible and if any director comes in there with their own kind of ideas that may be maybe a little bit out of the box or maybe fray, well, excuse me maybe stray a little bit too far from where they want then obviously it's not going to fly with with definitely kathleen kennedy and and the folks at disney and lucasfilm and unfortunately that that's my opinion on it. but apparently that's the case, because anything deviating from the norm in the Star Wars universe seems to not go over very well
3: with Lucasfilm. Well, I mean, the, the big question, you know, in response to that, Gerald, is how can you be a great director if you're a yes man or woman in that position? Because being a director, I know one or two things about it, requires you to have vision and an understanding of what the picture is, not just facilitating what a corporation wants to see to sell action figures and T-shirts and theme park tickets. You got to have a vision for what the story is and you've got to be unrelenting to get it to where it needs to go.
2: I I couldn't agree with you more, but if you're working talking about the artistry part of the filmmaking experience, then, you know, that is... Is there con- any other? Well, and in this case there might be because the vision is, is definitely all from Lucasfilm, and you as a director, when you work on these Star Wars projects, are just helping to guide that vision. You're not having really, uh, it looks like they're not really having much of a say or input in within the realm of it, and, and it looks like you're just picking up the pieces, or in the case of Ron Howard, and being able to try and still assemble it together to, to satisfy
3: what the, well, as you said, the corporate narrative wants. Well, then then I guess the question that I would have for Lucasfilm and Disney is why are you hiring auteurs or directors that are known for having a precise vision that attracted you to them because of their diligent, independent spirit and determination for what they see as a way to make a good film without compromise? Everybody that they've hired and let go has done it their way and had critical and independent success. You know they've hit the box office mark. Whether it's the Lego Movie with uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, whether it's Jurassic World and Colin Trevorrow. You know they've worked in, on those big films, and yet they both both of those pairs have massive independent success as well. Like Safety Not Guaranteed, which was a Sundance hit for Colin Trevorrow, which is what got Spielberg's attention. It was like a, a five million dollar movie or something like that, and it was sci fi. It was out of the box. It was about this guy who wanted to to do time travel. And it was it was really clever. He worked within the confines there, but he got the film done the way he wanted to do it. And it was great. Josh Trank, even though it seems from the reports he wasn't easy to work with, he did some excellent filmmaking on uh, Oh help me out here. That one with the superheroes. Come on, Gerald. That not, not Fantastic Four. No, there was the one before him that got that got him on the map. That was superhero related. Oh, oh Chronicle? Yep, that's it right there. Chronicle, yeah. So, like, he he did that all on his own. Like, that was a breakout indie hit for him, which makes sense why they would try to give him Fantastic Four. And then that obviously went super south. But, you know, there was a lot of reasons why that went south, too, outside of Trent. Again, there's a lot of people. Gareth Edwards, uh, you know, you have Monsters, which is a huge indie hit for him. Then he gets to do Godzilla. Again, another box office success that was proven stylistically. And then you oust him from reshoots on Rogue One. I don't know what Disney's doing here. It's like, They try to get the fan base excited by bringing in these pop culture dynamos that have indie cred that have proven themselves on, on a bigger level. And then when they don't agree with them, they replace them with somebody else who's, I don't know, a yes man, like you said, or somebody else who's just got more seasoned experience, just competent enough to get the job done after it's been done 75%. I don't know if it's a safe job to ever take a directing gig on a Star Wars film.
2: Unless, uh, unless you're someone like Steven Spielberg, who seems to have enough cachet where he can, you go know what? Into a I
3: don't, I don't think that he would take it because I don't think he would want to be in a situation where it's volatile enough that they're firing directors at the rate that they're firing. When is the last time we've seen a franchise on any level overturn creative talent like this? Never, mind you, we don't have many franchises on this level, but even like the DC universe, if you if you kind of compare. That stuff to what's going on in Star
5: Wars, and this people is top talent kind of too.
2: This this is top talent, you know, high ranking talented directors, and you know, for Star Wars Episode Nine to still be in limbo like this, you know, basically what a year out from production is still
3: it's not good. It's not a good sign at all. Y- you're right. These are all like A-list directors, all A-list people that have the box office dollars in the billions. Uh, by their name and they're being ousted something is going on there i get it's always easier from a studio system perspective to say no than it is to say yes because if something happens when you say yes it's your butt that's on the line you know you pick this person well if they don't perform then it's you and you're the one that has to answer for it and it just it's the domino effect that trickles down so, at so the same I time, ask you, fan base what? confidence has got to be shuddering at this point uh, i that i agree but let me ask you. You know, like I said, director
2: of Nintendo Quest, one of the best video game documentaries that's out there. Watch it today on Amazon Prime, uh, or as you know, uh, you or Jay, I think, says all the time, play it in the background, please. But yeah. uh, <laughs> on repeat. There. What if that phone behind you rings and it is Kathleen Kennedy asking you for the gig? How would you approach that? What would be your concerns, and and would you actually? eventually say yes at, at trying to go ahead and helm this kind of, you know, obviously very important project.
3: Oh, well, I, as you were in the process, explained explaining the guidelines for the scenario, the, the first and immediate thought I had honestly was I have to see the script, I would have to see the script first before I can make a decision. And to everybody out there, that sounds nuts. Cause if I'm being offered star Wars, why wouldn't you just say yes? I don't want to get in over my head. I want to be able to read that script. I want to make sure I understand it. I want to make sure I can connect to it. I want to make sure I get it. Because if I don't get it, then I can't do a good job and I'm going to be fired too. And I'll just be another footnote in the Star Wars kind of Wikipedia page. I don't need that. I don't need that. I can't do a good job unless I get it. And honestly, it sounds really strange because it's the fan guy in me. I'll say, yeah, of course you're going to direct a Star Wars film. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. You know, but the first thought was I got to read the script to see what I'm in for you know, that's, that's what it would come down to. And I think that would probably be a pretty fair, uh, request.
2: Yeah. And I don't blame you a bit because if it's something that, you know, it's doomed to fail on your end as far as, cause you're going to ultimately get the heat for anything that goes wrong with it or anything that you don't see that, excuse me, that you see that you don't like. So, uh, I, 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 I can understand from that perspective. And obviously with being a director in the star Wars universe, being such a tenuous position, obviously if it was something that you were even interested in, then it would be very difficult to take it uh, under those current circumstances.
3: Yeah. It's uh, like I said, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, like I said, Colin Trevorrow's breakout film was safety, not guaranteed. And that kind of describes the feeling of anybody that's going to be in a director's chair on a Star Wars film. And, hey, you know what? He's the first one in a Skywalker saga film to get booted. You know, J.J. Abrams got Episode 7. Ryan Johnson got Episode 8. And all the other hiring and firings are all anthology films. So I think to a degree fans aren't that concerned because until Rogue One, we didn't really understand the scope of them, how would they would impact the main storyline, how consequential would it be easy to brush them off as, oh, it's not a big deal if it, if it didn't hit. Sure, it's Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars with a capital S. Now we're talking about something that has hit the Skywalker saga hard, smack dab, the last installment, maybe the most critical installment, and hey, do I got a point to Return of the Jedi with Richard Marquand, who, you know, people say is probably the worst director of the original trilogy, maybe it's not fair to him, George was also a little bit of a control freak there, coming in to try to shepherd him what's going on spielberg was supposed to replace him on doing that does spielberg come back now as you may were suggesting to close this chapter out like he was supposed to close jedi i think he would be more amped if he were offered a 007 film
2: because i've read throughout history of his tenure that he's always wanted to direct
3: a bond film well the one guy that i know is dying to direct a bond film is quentin tarantino he's dying to do a bond film i don't know about spielberg i mean i get why he wants to do Bond was part of the reason why he did uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders Lost Ark. As a response to him not being able to do, I think it was like Octopussy, I think something like that. But I think that worked out pretty well for him too. So we'll see.
2: <laughs> Indeed, it did. Uh, in fact, I watched it the other day and. Uh- you know, when, when always when you're watching Raiders of the Lost Dark and you're watching 1 and 3, it's definitely uh, so nice. And I do recommend if anybody out there watches it, uh, cheap plug, watch it on Amazon Prime because it's funny because while you're watching it, you can actually see all the facts, the goofs, the miscues, uh, and, and, you know, certain information on the the movie as it progresses so that's kind of cool as
3: so well. after you're done watching nintendo quest in the background throwing raiders the no no you have that on another platform. window going oh, okay okay, i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you so there uh, uh, was it on a loop as well yeah well you can just hit repeat i guess you can just refresh that browser window don't be afraid refresh that browser window fair enough so that's point one on our uh, weekly news news round of colin trevor out for director of star wars episode nine Next I kind of want to go to something similar to Amazon Prime and of course this is Netflix and uh, the trailer dropped for Jerry before Seinfeld. Now this is one of two stand-up specials that Jerry Seinfeld has committed to for Netflix. Um, He's quite the comic icon. He's been around for a long time. He's really getting back into the stand-up circuit. His uh, most recent show, Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee, I think is on like eight or nine seasons or something ridiculous like that. But it's also
2: being moved over to Netflix, is that correct?
3: To Netflix as well, including the early Crackle stuff. Uh, And that show, for everybody that doesn't know, is basically Seinfeld with a comedian uh, from the industry, basically having an interview on wheels. So they drive around, they go get coffee, they talk, they go get more coffee, and that's the episode. It sounds dull, but it's hilarious. It's all pretty raw. It's, It's funny as heck. If you like comedy, check it out. If you like trying to understand why comedy works, definitely check it out. If you want to see Seinfeld a little bit out of his element, a little bit more down to earth, but still himself, check it out. Now he comes to Netflix with two stand-up specials. The first one, Jerry before Seinfeld, where he's performing in New York at the club where he got his start. The big question here, Gerald, is what are thoughts on Netflix being the new home for essentially stand-up comedy? What do you think about that? And does it feel like HBO used to feel back in the 80s? The big thing for comics was to get an HBO special. And then somewhere in the 90s, early 2000s, a Comedy Central special was kind of the thing. But yep. now Netflix seems to be the place to go for stand-up comedy specials. Thoughts on this?
2: I, I think it's great that they have an avenue that they can go ahead and share their wares. Dave Chappelle, I believe, also as well is has uh, gotten a lot of, of play on the Netflix and uh Amy Schumer as well or or yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah you know both. I've seen seen cuz I've Bill seen has been there for a long time yeah he's and I, I've you seen a comic. couple and I've seen a couple uh uh Joe Coy. uh he's also as well on on Netflix as well he's he's gaff Gaffigan yeah
3: yeah
2: these extremely funny comedians and Netflix I will give them credit they are trying to find alternative ways to to reach out to consumers on a regular basis. Are they making a profit? Uh, I don't know. You know, they're they're you know when they report their money each and every quarter, it doesn't seem like it's always in great shape. But you know, they are throwing out the cash out there to get these pro- projects to get these things like like the comedians to do their specials. And hey, it's all gravy. You already you already sold out the house. This is just gravy beyond it. Uh, HBO used to do these type of things. You're right with Eddie Murphy and and so on. And then also as well, Comedy Central. But with Netflix, like HBO in the past, you're able to go as raw as NSFW, as uncensored as you want because you're on on Netflix. And that, that also appeals to the comedians as well. So it's definitely a great idea by Netflix to do this and to make it a home for basically a hotbed of both up and coming and traditional comedians to perform on that venture, and with Netflix, you know, we've we've talked about in past weeks on the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse how Disney leaving them eventually is going to affect affect the Netflix viewing experience, and it seems like this is one way that they're going to recoup that. I mean, their deal with Adam Sandler, as far as just their movies are concerned horrible as many people think they are have still garnered millions of views and have made netflix a lot of of happy customers through that venture so that's been a great operation for them and a lot of their other stuff aside that they're just trying to basically throw darts at at a dartboard and you know f- quite frankly a lot of the stuff their stuff is hitting and that's why a lot of people like netflix because they're able to go out and take risk and do things such as car- you know corner the market on comedians performing with
3: their live shows well here's where my concern comes in okay here's where my concern comes in in the 80s a comedy special was an event Look at like Delirious, right? Or Eddie Murphy Roth. You you mentioned Eddie Murphy is those as are a, two of the best of all time. Yeah. Uh, those were like films, right? Like yes. like Landis like directed like the intro for one of them, or even look at like Richard Pryor's stuff or George Carlin stuff, or even Jim Carrey's stand-up special he did for HBO. Like these are like monumental pieces and stand-up comedy kind of performances. And now I feel like we're getting a ton of Netflix stuff, so it doesn't make it as an event. So you have to really push the name for it to kind of catch a headline. And here's the stat that I want you to remember, okay? And I heard this stat when Bill Burr released his special last January. He said, the special comes out, but don't worry. If you like stand-up comedy, you never have to leave Netflix because every week on Netflix for the rest of the year, a new comedy special comes out. I mean, well, that's what I was going it, to say. It's is not it not just, it? or well, or not enough. Is it still special?
2: It's well, it does dilute it a little bit because of the fact you you know I was going to say while you were you know talking there that I was thinking that it sounded more like a comedian of the month type deal, but now it's like you said, it's even further that it's a comedian of the week that they're highlighting for the for the comedians out there, and and I did. Get to interact with them back in the early two thousands when, when I was working with individuals here in Vegas as far as comedy, comedy shows and whatnot. And you get to you get to interact with these guys and gals, and and you understand that they don't have always the greatest life. They're in, uh, for many of them that are struggling and go, trying to do the, anything they can to go on the way up. They're in lousy hotel room after lousy hotel room, and their life is on the road and they don't always have the best of accommodations and best of lifestyles as many would think. So when they do hit it big, they want to go ahead and monetize it, their f- fame and fortune any way they can because sometimes, in some cases it takes a long time to get to that stature. So I can understand from a uh, comedian point of view that it is definitely great that Netflix is highlighting week after week after week, but I can understand as a fan or as a viewer that okay it's just another comedy special it's just another comedy special but then again comedians have their own different styles each comedian has their own different style the ones that are successful and the ones that are you know they usually cater to a different segment of the audience so if you're looking for a different type of comedy each and every time netflix will have at least a lot of choices to choose from but i can understand what you're talking about and where you're coming from when you're talking about the waters getting diluted when it comes to comedy on netflix
3: yeah i mean i just think that if they're going to do that they should probably market it as comedian of the week really and then you can make an event out of it just like hbo made an event out of sunday nights right Every Friday night, here's your new stand-up comedy special. You know, sit down with your lady or your buddies or whatever. Have a few drinks. Watch the special on Netflix. Sit there and laugh out loud before you decide to go to the clubs or go to the bars or while you're playing some tabletop or some video games, you know, kitchen party. Throw it on. Have some fun. Next week, it's going to be this. I'll come over. Let's see if it's good. Instead, they're just kind of marketing the individual artist instead. And now for people to care, the name has to get bigger and bigger. So I think they're almost painting a trap for themselves with their and of overzealous acquisitions.
2: Well, like I said, it, it's it, you got to look at it up from both sides, uh, you know. And I'm trying to, but I definitely, as a viewer, I can understand it becoming saturated and and a lot of viewers becoming apathetic and maybe missing good comedy with the influx of of you know so many different performances. But from a, a comedian standpoint, it's also difficult to say, hey, I don't want to turn down that money, you know, because it's not you know, these type of avenues and revenue streams don't come around very often in the marketplace. You talked about HBO, but as soon as that went away, maybe late night comedy central stuff, but that doesn't obviously pay as well. So when Netflix came around and started that up again, you know, it's a nice revenue stream for the comedians, but definitely it could be something that, that a lot of fans could be very apathetic about very quickly.
3: Roku is a set-top box that a lot of people have to stream their contents. It's very similar to uh, Apple TV or Android boxes or Google Chrome when you're Chromecasting from your computer. Uh, it was made most famous and probably got on the map because it uh, was one of the first to carry Netflix as a separate app before Netflix got started embedded in PS3s and Xbox 360s and TVs themselves. Roku is now in the news because they're going to be seeking a $100 million public offering. My question to you, Gerald, is what is the future of these digital streaming box subscription channels, cable, and home internet? First of all, I should say that Roku, I believe, according to the article I read, lost forty-four million last year and their private capital. Now they're asking for a hundred million in a public offering. With public offering, usually that hundred million is in is in shares that it can go up and down in value for the company. But when you're basically seeking for twice, you know, the amount that you lost the year before with only a 15.4 million subscriber base, I wonder where that's going to come from and the minor and the the majority of their revenue comes from commercials that are placed within one of their 5,000 apps that they have, that's on there. So what do you think about the future of digital streaming boxes such as Roku, Apple TV and subscription channels in in total? And I kind of relate that back to what is the the future of cable and home and entertainment given the landscape today and what it was even like three to four years ago. I'll tell you what, let me ask you a question. You know,
2: you're a tech savvy guy. How long to your knowledge, do you think, you know, just a roundabout figure, have you understood and known about these type of devices being part of, I guess, our, our culture? five, six, seven, uh, in some cases, you know almost up to ten years now, correct?
3: I would say that I probably Netflix was on my map in 2006 and seven as a disk like direct mailer. But I I didn't look at it as a streaming option until about 2009 or 2010.
2: But these devices, they've been out for quite some time. The technology itself, them, has gotten a little bit cheaper, but it's still pretty much standard technology that it
3: uses, correct? Yeah, I mean, it seems to be the same kind of code-based structure. Um, There's, like like I said, essentially Android boxes that are running in Android OS or Windows OS. And when you have gaming consoles like PlayStation 4 selling 65 million units worldwide, plus Xbox, plus Switch, plus the last generation of PS3s and you know Xbox 360s also containing these apps, and smart TVs with apps being built into them, our phones being able to like stream from your phone to your, to your TV, connecting your TV to your computer. It seems like there's no shortage of ways to watch stuff on the big screen Than than ever before so I don't feel like the future is is where these boxes are and I don't know that I would be backing a hundred million dollar offering on something like Roku unless there was something of a game-changer with that and hey I'm a really big Apple fan I have the whole Apple ecosystem from IMAX to uh, well an older iPad I have an iPhone and you know I was forever forever holding off on Apple TV and the thing that sold me was standalone HBO you know, for 15 bucks a month, I didn't need a cable package and I could get HBO and then still, you know, get some of their free services as well and piggyback off my iTunes account, which is what I had ordered there, plus some of the games. But really, HBO pushed me to that.
2: And as we say this, my wife is actually streaming Game of Thrones right now off the Xbox One. So, <laughs> but I will, I will tell you this right now. Uh, that's what I was trying to infer to when I was asking you those questions is because The technology itself that these sticks provide is becoming quickly outdated and there's so many more devices out there that can do the same thing that's more multifunctional, that is more palatable to a large audience that something like Roku is gonna become a thing of the past very quickly. I mean, you and I, when we have gone to CES before and I remember the year that Android gaming consoles was all the rage and it was just like so amazing there was like 20 to 30 different kinds of models of android gaming consoles that were out there and everybody was going uh and then a year later they were all but gone because the trends in technology change so quickly and, and that if you have something that people see as outdated they will just drop it like a bad habit roku is something that you know it's not the leader in the in the industry and it's just another name that's out there so i would not invest in that that type of companies unless they have something down the road that they're going to introduce that's going to be a whole lot better than what they have and that's going to be a whole lot better than what's out there
3: today i agree i just don't see uh, a game breaker in terms of um I just don't see a game breaker in terms of what this is supposed to do that that doesn't already happen out there. I don't know where the money comes from. I don't know where it consolidates. I think in terms of subscription apps and and the future of cable and home entertainment, everybody is breaking off for their own different digital service. We have Netflix already. We have Amazon. Disney's doing their own thing. CBS is doing their own thing. DC Direct is doing their own thing. Warner Brothers is going to have their own thing, which they kind of do already with HBO as a subsidiary. The next thing is gonna come along where it basically bundles all these things together, which Apple TV kind of does already. They have a TV feature that when you're watching it, it kind of picks like all the things that you've recently been watching from all the different apps and then kind of organizes it for you that way, which is essentially cable TV again. But you're paying for every individual brand now because we're such a brand-driven society because we're super fans of everything that's a niche that we'll never buy anything that's broad because we feel like we're paying for something we don't love. So then we pony up for the stuff that we do love and we have to pay extra for it. So they got us coming and going. They really do.
2: Uh, Bet you know, obviously they should just have a Nintendo Quest channel to just 24-7 live stream Nintendo Quest channel. And that should be it. That right.
0: would
3: probably save a lot of problems and a lot of headaches. Just or, or a Rob McCallum
2: Films, you know, marathon right there for you. There you go.
3: Well, you know, my good friend Patrick Scott Patterson just started his own Twitch channel and... He's on a goal to uh, have 24-7 streaming. So he's looking for 24 hours of content based on all the stuff that, he, that he's done. So soon I think you will, uh, you will see basically everything kind of come full circle from him there, so to speak, if that makes sense. You'll basically get to see 24-7 PSP live, including a bunch of Nintendo Quest stuff. So
2: There you go. There you go,
3: indeed. So Can't wait for it. Major League 3. There was a meetup. At, at the actual Field of Dreams. I don't know if you caught this piece of news, Gerald. Did you see this?
2: Uh, yes, I did. It's just so <laughs> anything relating to Charlie Sheen is, these, these days is quite hilarious.
3: It's, uh, it was Charlie Sheen and uh, Tom Bergeron and Corbin Bernstein, I think it was. Is Tom right? Berenger. Tom Berenger, that's right. And Corbin, uh, Corbin Bernstein. So they met up for an autograph session at the actual Field of Dreams field from the Kevin Costner movie and uh you know charlie Sheen wants to have a have major league three um film come out and whatnot what is sacred gerald what is sacred and what isn't well i can tell you right right now that charlie
2: sheen's career since his fall from grace with two and a half man is is epic proportions here and And he recently got a lot of flack for the, you know, what many deemed tasteless 9-11 film that he was part of. And there's just so many things he's not doing right these days. A major league three I don't think will ever happen because Hollywood just doesn't consider uh, him just to be a bankable star in any shape or form. And I, I would see it as a losing proposition all the way. I know
3: as a director, I don't think you would touch it as well, correct? I would I would take this on as a director. This is something where really, I, I really, don't, I don't even know that I would need to see the script for Major League Three. I love Major League One so much that I would take this on, and I would be able to get excited about it a lot. The man um, who would but, have
2: apprehensions for Star Wars Episode Nine would take on Major League Three in a in a heartbeat. Well, wow.
3: I think the stakes are a bit lower for Major League Three. No offense, than Star Wars Episode Nine. So I feel a little bit co- uh, comfier there, if you know what I'm saying. But the paycheck would be nicer. Well, would it? I don't know. There's a lot of uh, greedy paws out there for the uh, the old corporate handouts there in Disney. I would say the paycheck would be nicer. I don't know, but the prestige of Major League 3, come on now. That's a, that's a VOD waiting to happen, my friend. Well, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm comfortable with a VOD waiting to happen.
2: <laughs> well, all I can say is this. Uh, I interacted with Charlie Sheen many, many years ago along with him. And uh, Nicholas Cage when they when they were very young, and they were very rambunctious, and they were a they and their posse and their their group that was with them, whatever you want to say, were were really just a rambunctious crew. And and I tell you what, it looks like throughout his entire life, things have not changed for for Charlie Sheen. And even in his old age, he's still trying to do whatever he can to recapture some of that glory. So. If that's what he wants to do, that's fine. I just don't see a studio, you know, putting much money behind it or at least keeping it uh, on a minimum, unless somebody does like a what a Super Troopers 2 did and doing a Kickstarter campaign
3: for it. Yeah, well, you never know. They could uh, – no, they probably will not do a Kickstarter for Major League 3. That probably just yeah, won't hey, happen. They did one hey, for Super Troopers 2. May, well, I think there's a p- bit bigger of a following for those guys than there is for Major League 3. But who knows? Maybe Charlie Sheen can uh, – help be make it a winning campaign. Uh, I don't know. Uh, They can uh, give away vials of tiger blood. No too soon, too late. Wow. Uh, Moving on. Will and grace uh, get the green light after last year, they did a political scene that caught fire and really went viral. Now Will and grace is a sitcom from the early two thousands. And now it has been, it was picked up straight to order full season. Um, This is really, I don't want to say unprecedented, Cause we've seen Cause a lot of you see
2: Roseanne doing the same thing.
3: Roseanne is doing the same thing, of course. And we've seen other comedies get spinoffs and find other lives on other network, like the Mindy project and community getting basically ordered on, on uh, Yahoo and um, uh, Hulu getting different orders. So like sitcoms stay alive. I mean, look at family guy that went away for a while and then that came back. What other sitcoms should come back and like what made will and grace is like the most unlikely like uphill battle that to me, that seems like a really strange choice for that. Well, and yet, well, it worked.
2: Well, I'll tell you what I think of these revivals, because you, you and I both remember that yes, community did come to Yahoo, but it died very quickly. And it did not get the response that Yahoo liked. Um, I will say that of the two, you know, that are coming out, Roseanne and Will and Grace, I would probably say, I can't believe I'm saying this, knowing Roseanne being a cornerstone of, of 80s and 90s culture, I'm going to say Will & Grace is more modern feeling. Maybe millennials will adapt to it more, and maybe they'll they'll keep the ratings at a point where it will be palpable for, for NBC. I don't see Roseanne staying on, on there long, even with John Goodman coming back somehow being resurrected from the dead um i just i just feel I that he was
3: other, I thought he was off no
2: no i think he's being resurrected from the dead i, I even though his character was killed off in the original series i heard he is coming back for that uh uh so i, I don't know I, I i would will and grace i mean if they're able to you know go ahead and and uh well see the thing is that what brought them to light in as the 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 political stance that they took during those promos that they did so they can't i, I don't know if they are or or well, let me ask you this would you keep that type of political stance that they took in those promos into a show that's meant for a wider range and a
3: wider audience I think they're going to be hinting at it probably throughout the course in some sort of uh, overarching um, season story. I think they really will because I think that's what got them the green light, and it probably won't be as on the nose as it is there. But I really think that it's going to that it's going to come to fruition in, in that style. I think they'd be silly not to. I think Roseanne's going to connect better than than you realize. I think there's a lot of stuff to parallel with where we are now with uh, Republicans in power, like there were, like we were in the '80s. And that kind of blindheartedness pushed towards commercialism that we had back then is echoed again now. So I think you're going to get the blue collar kind of response that we had from Roseanne back then, which is you know also hails from you know Cosby Show creators, right? Which was the complete opposite of Roseanne. Roseanne actually had a series before uh, in the works, and then The Cosby Show got picked up in Greenlit first, and that nobody would watch an affluent you know African American family, and they pitched it and they sold it, and then. Then they said, "Well, let's do the complete opposite and that works. Let's see if that works And that's where the Roseanne pitch came back and got them greenlit. So I think we're gonna I think you're gonna find that Roseanne is actually a bigger hit than than you expect. And there's whole, what three or four generations of people that don't know Roseanne Barr, or I guess it's just Roseanne now. Um, and then you're gonna find people that still remember her that have kids now that can relate, so you'll have that generational thing again.
2: Well, I'm gonna be talking to the tvratingsguide.com people next week and they can give me maybe a little closer look at what they're projecting the ratings out for both shows to be. But I'm fearing one thing more than either of those two two shows hitting or not hitting with the general audience. And that if they do hit either one of those shows or both, we're gonna see an influx of a lot more shows from those eras being brought back to television
3: whether we like it or not agree disagree i think anything is always up for grabs anything is always up for grabs if a uh money investment firm from the uk can make he-man and skeletor relevant again by parodying dirty dancing from the 80s then i think anything is possible
2: well, NBC has also already said that they've, they're thinking about
3: revivals for Office and 30 Rocks. So. That I did here too. I don't know that Tina Fey is super interested in, in a return, and I don't know who they would get to do The Office if they would just center on a different Office with different cast of characters, if that would be enough. I literally just finished watching uh, The Office for a second run-through for me. I can see why it got old fast. I don't know that they have the writing talent that they, they would need to do it. Mindy Kaling is one of the greater writers on the show, same with BJ Novak. They've both got other important things going on. The mini project was far underrated. It should have got more attention. I'm glad she's back this season as well with something else.
2: Well, like I said, I'm, I'm afraid that what's old will become new again in, in mass. And as we've seen it with movies, I think that's going to probably take place if those two become a big hit. You're going to see a lot of those revivals being pushed on us. And, you know, sprinkled in – it's okay, but when you push a max, mass influx on us, that, that's going to be where, where uh, a lot of people are going to re, you know, revolt with uh, turning off their, their remotes. And I, I just if those two shows do hit, uh, I think you're going to see definitely a lot more of that coming on this way.
3: More Star Wars news. A Star Wars Rebel Season 4 releases its trailer, and it is fourth and final season
2: because Disney always ends
3: everything in four something like that especially trilogies um, how many more series are we gonna get out there Gerald that must connect back to the main saga when it comes to Star Wars well Disney well Disney
2: will keep on doing it as long as it correlates to whatever it is like you said within the Star Wars universe but with all their series and actually my daughters were the ones to you know bring me up to speed on this. Disney always ends its series after four, series, four seasons. So definitely seeing that take place is not surprising. What they're going to do You know next. why that is, right? No, actually, actually, they didn't tell me that part.
3: Well, usually, I'll see if I can find it. I'm, I got iTunes in front of me because I was kind of curious about this. But we'll go well, on, and if I finish your point, I'll see if I can confirm what my thought is. Go. Well, I will, I will say this, that it, this
2: one is the more disappointing Endings because I still thought the series has a lot of life left plus Admiral Thawne as a uh, character uh, He has obviously ignited a lot of fans interest as far as seeing him continue within the Star Wars universe
3: Okay, so usually why they end after four seasons and I just confirmed by looking up on iTunes uh, Season 3 and 2 and 1 of Star Wars Rebels is because usually when they have 80 Usually the the, the magic number used to be 100 episodes you can get away with 80 to 88 when you have that many it's a syndication package deal meaning you can sell the whole series to places like netflix they won't have to now because they can keep it for their own streaming services but they can put it on broadcast on disney xd as a complete run knowing that one episode can play every day for more than a year in a month or so and they'll have a refresh every time so that's why like four seasons is the magic number from a broadcast point of view
2: yeah, I remember 100 used to being the magic number, but yeah, I started see, hearing and seeing picking up. Uh, I know one of the things with Elementary on CBS that is a not very highly rated show, but it's one of my favorites. But I know I like it as well. The reason why it was retained was because it has such a sweet syndication deal that's out there already, and it did hit that magic number of 80 episodes, which caused it to go in that that extra. Profitable realm, so definitely I can understand why that Disney cuts everything off then for four years. But you've got so many interesting characters within that universe. I'm just hoping that they'll be packaged somewhere down the line and put, you know, in a different format in in another part of the Star Wars universe.
3: Well, what I wish is that they would just tell a Star Wars story, branded a Star Wars, have it within the universe. Just don't tell us kind of when it is, and let that kind of be the guess. Let the fans. Figure out the mystery of when it takes place, how does it relate? Does it relate? And just keep dropping these clues until like that final season. So for the first 66 episodes or whatever it is, 60 episodes, really play with us and let us just focus on the storyline instead of letting the fan boys and girls out there try to connect us to that the start the Skywalker storyline and where does this fit in and how do I have to frame my understanding? Because when we're told this happens before New Hope, but after Revenge of the Sith then we instantly compartmentalize what is what is possible. And when we know what is possible, it restricts storytelling. So, like, eliminate those barriers and just put it out there. Let it happen on the other side of the Outer Rim concurrently with what's going on with Luke Skywalker. And, like, tell me what's going on in the rest of the universe as they hear about this stuff that's coming across the galaxy. You know, I think that would be a good take on it. and Because it's, you know, the, what's the ripple effect of, of the Skywalkers at that point? But, again, play it out. Don't kind of Tell us everything up front. Let us guess. Let us do a little bit of work on our side.
2: Well, I know that uh, is going to be still a great season for Star Wars Rebels and starts, I believe, October thirteenth. Is that correct? I
3: believe so. Something like that. Early October is, is what I got on my notes.
2: So definitely looking forward to that, indeed. And yeah, we'll be sad to see many of the characters go, home, but I know I want to know what they want to do because with Admiral, because he has become a just a major. Uh, part and a major force of star wars rebels and he's become uh, very popular on his own they you know obviously comic books have been done after him and and there's talk about him actually being put somewhere else in the star wars universe correct
3: yeah i mean he was uh, what they called the legacy character because he was part of the pre-canon approval of disney and then he was brought back kind of almost uh, as he was envisioned before and put into rebels as almost like a fan favorite and now uh, now he's back, almost kind of like getting a, another chance at another kick of the can. So it'd be nice to see these characters uh, seated in there. I know in the trailer for Season 4 they mentioned uh, Krennic from Rogue One, which is really cool. Um, so we're going to see some Rogue One tie-ins. I just really wish we'd get a storyline that was separate from everything that we've seen in film so that it has a chance to stand on its own and let the fans just kind of enjoy for what it is instead of compartmentalizing the mythos and lore around everything that we already have seen. I don't
2: think you're ever going to be able to get that because at least those in the know and in the power within the Lucasfilm realm love connecting the dots to the you know, the well-known
3: parts of the Star Wars universe. Well, a fan can always hope and wish. fan can always hope and wish. Last bit of news I got for you, Gerald, today on our Pop Culture News Roundup is Box Art, a gaming documentary, docuseries, if if I will, released the first clip on The weekend. Now, this was a bit of a a tease, a little bit of a promo that uh, premiered last year at PAX 2016 and in honor of PAX again. um, The the director, I suppose, thought it would be cool to finally unveil a little bit of footage for what fans can expect to see in this upcoming docu-series on video game art and cover artists and the stories behind the covers. Did you get a chance to check this out? I did indeed, and the reactions
2: to some of the uh you know the the covers that that psp was showing to uh, individuals there were were very amusing we'll set up
3: uh, the clip for people that didn't get a chance to see and if you haven't seen it you can go to facebook.com slash box doc and check it out for yourself but give them a little taste of, of what, what the clip sets up
2: well basically they're at e3 2016 and while the you know, the the line is waiting, I'm assuming, to actually enter into E3 2016. It's usually uh, people wait in in droves for at least an hour, hour and a half. Uh, Patrick Scott Patterson got a chance to interview several people and show them different boxes, you know, different box arts from various video games throughout the timeline of video games and just the different reactions from, Individuals, both young and a little bit older, were varied on what they liked and well, <laughs> what they didn't like about the various pictures that were shown from
3: the different box arts from the past. Did you have a uh, a game cover that elicited your favorite reactions, or or a moment or a soundbite that caught your attention?
2: I just think the young lady that that you you know that PSP interviewed, her reactions were very uh enlightening and very very noble as far as what she was you know thinking when she was showing them and 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 just her reactions to know that because she's on the younger side she's she's not as familiar with those those games of the past whatnot but but you know bless her heart she she still you know was was giving psp some honest opinions about it some of the ones uh i think there was a couple of gentlemen out there in fact there's one that said he would not one of them was uh, no matter under and under any circumstances he was uh he would not have this as a poster in his room correct
3: yeah he was talking about castlevania he thought dracula would haunt his nightmares <laughs> and then he pleaded well, to, I'm thinking to myself this is just an 80s box art but okay whatever rocks your boat well i mean that's just it so i mean if you want to check out the clip for yourself head to facebook.com slash doc b-o-x-a-r-t-d-o-c And check it out for yourself. Uh, I will hopefully get a trailer out soon. I'm going to be looking at cobbling some clips together over the next couple weeks. So you can get a more uh, accurate look at what it was like to sit down with some of these artists uh, behind the covers that really shaped gaming history and the stories uh, that emerge from doing so. Um, This was a really safe clip to kind of release because it's more about reactions and as, as game players and as game consumers and customers, we all have a reaction to what that cover art is like. And this was kind of just something on par with that. So, a proper trailer and release will be coming out soon. But I want to thank everybody who did check out the clip that I released. It's uh, been a pleasure to direct this series and work on it in post. And I can't wait to share more with you guys. And congratulations but,
2: to a couple of the producers that were part of it as well.
3: Yeah, Doug and Nicole, uh, producers on Box Art, are now engaged thanks to a nice little uh, proposal by Mr. Doug himself at Disneyland. So, congratulations to my cohorts there. I've been uh, grinding Doug's gear. Uh, his gears about popping that question to Nicole and finally stepped up and uh, got down on the one knee and he made her happen. And she said, yes. So that's, that's some good news all around. And in the magic kingdom, no doubt. That was a great way to do it as well. Indeed. Indeed. So that'll do it for another news roundup for the pop culture cosmos and everything that goes tickety boo in the world of pop culture and the surrounding cosmic spheres of things that we like. Gerald, any final thoughts? yeah i just wanted to
2: say thanks rob again for bringing that up to speed uh, on all the different pop culture news uh if you get a chance check us out pop culture cosmos on facebook and twitter because you will get the latest pop culture news put right there on the news feed along with also all the information on our podcasts from pop culture cosmos including the pop culture cosmos show the pcc multiverse and all the great stuff from humanic and media and inside sports the attack of the humanigans, the super bs games cast topic apocalypse what about this guardians of the geek and all the other stuff he's doing that's also on there as well so that'll keep you all updated. and plus also a lot of rob mccallum film stuff gets shared on there as well so you can keep up to date with everything going on in rob mccallum's world and tiny
3: rails as well check out tiny rails where on Steam is the best place to check it out. It's only on there for $9.99 in early access. We've got a major update coming out right now. That includes some station building mechanics. So you're going to be asked and tasked to build new train stations as you explore the wild jungles and the exciting story of South America that has you track down the cursed mask of El Dorado on your 8-bit glorious pixel aesthetic train. Uh, and if, if Steam is not a good fit for you, and we do have a mobile offering on Android and iOS devices too.
2: And I heard also as well, Tiny Titan Studios is looking for some really good people as well, correct? For testers in the London, Ontario area?
3: We're looking for people for almost every position that you can think of. But uh, we do have a local requirement so you can work with us in studio and join our growing team. Uh, if you want to basically seek us out on Facebook and Twitter, you can, or you can go to tinytitanstudios.com uh, slash careers, and you can see all our openings there and send us your portfolio. If you think you're a good fit for us, be it coder, be it uh, designer, artist, we are looking for good folks. And if you think you've got what it takes and can live in London, Ontario, Canada, to our Southwest of Toronto, Ontario, we'd love to take a look at your stuff and consider you for one of the positions.
2: Plus you would be able to work with the project lead himself,
3: Rob McCallum. What well, I mean, uh, I, I will say this. Can I, it get I, any better uh, than that? I am still associated with Tiny Rails. We've had a little switch again, and I've been tasked with uh, working on two secret projects now, early in the pre-production and development phase. So uh, well, creative director, project director is still kind of a technical thing, I am stepping back a little bit from Tiny Rails and kind of going forward so I can focus on more writing stuff for uh, two projects that have yet to be announced.
2: Are we calling them Project Scorpio and Project Revolution?
3: We can. We can do that. Let me just write down which is which and uh that way I know how to refer to them. Okay.
2: That would have been that would have been great if uh you know, you well you know Scorpio's coming out as a day one edition for the Xbox One X, correct? Yes. It wouldn't have been great if Revolution had actually come out for a day one edition of the Nintendo Wii. Would not that have been, yeah, cuz I love that name.
3: I thought or that was like have been. Ego the Dolphin, when it came out for the GameCube. Exactly, exactly. But, you know,
2: some of these secret project names are actually better than the actual names they actually. I like have.
3: Revolution. I like that one a lot still.
2: But I digress. But definitely some great opportunities indeed. So check out, what, like you said, Tiny Titan Studios on Facebook.
3: Yeah, and Twitter or slash careers.
2: Awesome indeed. Awesome indeed. It's been a great pleasure having you on, my friend. I'm hoping we can do this as much as your schedule allows. Uh, I always like to be you know going back and forth because you, you I want to tell everyone again, he hits me with this stuff unprepared. So it's definitely great with this pop culture talk right off the fly. And it's instead of having always a prepared uh like we do with the pop culture cosmos show and also the pcc multiverse uh it's always nice when, every now and then that we just shoot the breeze on what's going on in pop culture that's the way it flows at us and that's the way
3: we should respond
2: now i have a question for you oh okay here we go here we go you again as a host just you know obviously another great job again to this <laughs> this time what if Ever a reunion happens. Speaking of reunions that we talked about before, with the guys from GamerCast,
3: I I don't know. I mean, I see Mr. Stanway uh, every day, of course, as he is a collaborator at Tiny Tiny Studios, and I did see Mr. Jay Bartlett on the weekend. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on these days, and I don't know uh, when uh, the Broncos can get together in the old uh, rodeo pen if they can ever find a way to sit down and. And talk games again if uh, if it if there's still something there if we if we've kind of said what we need to say or or just kind of where where it sits. I mean, uh, if the reason is right, then we'll find a way to make it happen. We'll see.
2: I hope so one day because as a fan of the Gamer, gamer Cast, it was it was truly a great podcast, indeed. and I'm hoping for a return someday back to podcasting land for you guys, indeed. But well, until until then. until
3: then, you're stuck with me. That's,
2: not, that's, that's my benefit. That's to my benefit and our listeners as well. So it stuck with
3: me on the
2: pop culture cosmos. <sighs> <laughs> I wasn't going to do it, but okay. <laughs> Thanks again to everyone for listening again. This is again Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films and Tiny Tiny Studios. It's been a great pleasure having you host this segment of the Pop News Roundup. It was truly appreciated always you being a part. Of the pop
3: culture cosmos. Yes, I finally got you to do it properly.